In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, heavenly King. O comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fullest all things. O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Today's topic, are we leading a balanced spiritual life, which was meant to be a while ago, but then it didn't work out. So we're going to attempt with God's help to do it today. Most of you were here for the last talk. And the last talk, I read quite a few sections from a conversation of St. Seraphim with Nicholas Matovilov. Is that right? Matovilov, yeah. And I also gave out a book, A Little Life of St. Seraphim, and then there's the conversation, known now as the aim of the Christian life. I'm going to read one section just to remind us what was said last time, and then we'll carry on from there. St. Seraphim said that prayer, fasting, vigil... And all other Christian activities, however good they may be in themselves, are not the aim of our Christian life because, as we've been doing now for quite a few talks, a lot of people believe that orthodoxy or the aim of the Christian life is just to do some prayer, fasting, you know, go to church, some almsgiving, give some money to the poor or to the church, and that's basically the Christian life. And And we discovered over the last few months, that even though people do a lot of that, they are not progressing spiritually. There's still something wrong. And that's why I decided to read this this conversation of St. Seraphim to help us understand what is the true aim. And he says they're not the aim. Even though they're good, they may be good in, uh, in themselves, they're not the aim of the Christian life, although they serve as a necessary means of reaching this. So we do do them to help us reach the, um, our goal, but they're not the goal. The true aim of our Christian life, says St. Seraphim of consists in the acquisition of the Holy Spirit of God. So our aim is to acquire the grace of God, which is what the saints, the examples of the saints, the saints didn't just do little deeds here and there, but they, they had in their heart the aim that they want to acquire the Holy Spirit by doing these things. The, so he says, the true aim of our Christian life consists in the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. As for fasts, vigils, prayers, and almsgiving, and every good deed done for Christ's sake, they are only means of acquiring the Holy Spirit of God. But take note only... The good deed done for Christ's sake brings us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
All that is not done for Christ's sake, even though it be good, brings neither reward in the future life nor the grace of God in this. Now, when I first read this many years ago, I used to, and I uh, got a little bit confused, as I'm sure a lot of you will, would be today. What does it mean when you're doing a good deed for Christ's sake and when you're not doing a deed for Christ's sake? So what is the actual difference? And here he goes on in another section. He says, The enemy, meaning the devil, teaches man either not to do any good works at all. So that's one. He'll try and stop us of doing good works, good deeds. Or if he can't stop us doing them, then he makes us to do it with vanity, with vainglory, with pride, in other words. Or to do them merely for virtue's sake and not for Christ's sake. Now that part there, merely for virtue's sake, now some would say, isn't that why we do good deeds, isn't it for virtue? But later on I'm going to read to you um, something about that which I think will make a bit of sense. So there's three things. Either the devil tries to stop us doing good deeds or if he can't stop us then he'll, he'll allow us to do it in a way or we do it and we get vainglorious. And the third way is we do it for virtue's sake because we say, oh, this is a good thing to do. This is a proper thing to do. Helping the poor is a proper thing to do. I mean, many people can be virtuous, the, the Holy Father say, even many pagans were virtuous, but they, weren't, they didn't believe in God, they didn't believe in Christ. Today, there could be some virtuous atheists, they help people, etc. But, that, but that what's, what's meant by they do it for virtue's sake. Our own, now we go to the second set. Now he says, that, that's the first. Our own will teaches us to do everything to flatter our passions. So apart from the devil, we also can flatter ourselves. What's from the devil and what's from ourselves, it's hard to discern. Uh, you know, that's why the saints could discern when they were being, and even them, and even um, Elder Len that I remember reading, he said that... Uh, even a holy person does find it difficult at times to know exactly where things are coming from. So, uh, but some of the more progressed ones that had discernment, like St. Anthony the Great and many other great fathers, they knew exactly what was going on in them. And, some, and he says here, St. Seraphim says, that apart from the devil praising us, we can praise ourselves. Or else... Uh, our, from our own will, it teaches us to do good for the sake of good and not care for the grace which is acquired by, by it. So again, from ourselves, we might do a good deed just because we say, oh, that's good to do. That's a proper thing to do. But not necessarily caring whether we receive the grace of God, which is what the aim of the Christian life is. Now, that's what I said before. We often hear people say, that person's a virtuous person, that person's got a good character, that person's honest, that person's moral, that person's kind, that person helps the poor. A lot of, a lot of the celebrities, a lot of these movie stars and all that, they all like to do some almsgiving. They all help the poor, etc. And uh, 
They go over to Africa, some adopt babies, they do things, and a lot of them don't believe at all. Today, even the most corrupt person, if he does a good deed, everything else is excused. So you might say, oh, he, does, he went over to Africa and he helped. Yes, he's on drugs. Yes, he does all types of sins, other like passions, whether same sex or other type, whatever. They, it doesn't matter because he's doing that good deed. This is the way people have become confused. So we've said like sports personalities, you know, if they're a good sports person, they represent the country, and uh, then his private life or her private life doesn't really matter. Politicians, are oh, they doing good for the country, but they're corrupt, doesn't, doesn't matter. So you can give alms today and do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter because as long as you do a good deed. But remember that the Antichrist will also perform many good deeds. The Antichrist will be known for the fact that he does, he will, he will do good deeds. He will be loved by all. He will give solutions to mankind and things like that. And that's why a lot of people will say, he's the one. He's the Messiah, etc. But that's another topic. I'm not going to go too much on that. Now, someone said to me the other day, that he saw on the internet a photo of an aborted fetus. Is that correct? And underneath it says, turn, is that right? turn me into a tree so I can be saved. What does that mean? Turn me into a tree because trees and animals have more rights today than people. And those people who are doing that, they believe that they're doing good deeds. The woman who put the cat into the garbage bin, what country was that? Who remembers? England. So someone, they somehow videoed her that she was walking along and there was a cat on the, on the fence and she picked it up and she put it into a garbage bin and closed the lid. Now that went around the whole world. And she had death threats. Police came and picked her up. It became a big deal because she put the cat into the garbage bin. However... I don't hear those type of, that type of outrage for other issues. Even abused children, even children that died, we don't hear much. I mean, America, that last case there, there was a case there where people did get very um, worked up about it. But in general, no. Now, there was on the Greek Archdiocese website a video clip of Father Themi, a Greek who does work in Africa. And he, he um, had an interview with Channel 10, some, something to do there. We should actually send it to you anyway, if you, if you like. And he um, was talking there to the people, and he helps a lot of people that have had their limbs cut off during their, those wars over in, that, in some part of Africa there. He said something which I found which was quite... He said it really well. He said, when... Recently, a whale was beached on the, on, you know, like came out of the water and was on the beach. Once they go on the beach, they can't get out. So he says hundreds of people came down concerned about the whale to try and get it back into the water. But he said, but meanwhile, at that same time, there are hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of people dying around the world or in Africa from starvation. And... 
those people who try to stop the Japanese from doing their whale hunting, whatever they do, they risk their lives, as do a lot of these animal rights people. They actually risk their lives. And yet, do we say that they're doing a good deed? For this reason, we need to know, so there's a lot of confusion. For this reason, we need to know exactly what are good deeds that are done for Christ's sake. We also discovered last month that good deeds are actually the commandments of Christ. I read to you from an elder on Mount Athos in a book called A Night in the Desert of the Holy Mountain, and he said that we acquire grace with repentance and the keeping of the commandments of Christ. So St. Seraphim said, the aim of the Christian life is to acquire grace. This person says the way we acquire grace is through two things. One, by doing the commandments of Christ. And two, repentance. So I'm going to give you like an analogy type of thing. We have two legs. We function with two legs. If we only have one leg, it would be very hard to function. So this is the same. The commandments of Christ and repentance... At the same time, those two things are necessary. They, they come together, and through that, we receive the grace of God. We can't stand on just one. We just can't do the commandments of Christ without repentance. And repentance is real when we fail to do the commandments of Christ. Because someone says, it's just too hard. The Bible's standard. It's just too high. Who can, who can live that way? Who can do all those things that are said in the Bible? And yes, it's true. A lot of it, yes, there are some, there are some um, difficult things. But that's what Christ says. He says, well, where you fail, you repent. So there's no excuse, really, is there? Because as the Optin elders say that the easiest virtue to acquire is self-condemnation. And we heard the parable of the public and the Pharisee in which he, all he said was, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ said he was justified. In other words, he was reconciled with God. So heartfelt repentance can save us, even if we don't get to the level of doing all the commandments of Christ, but we have to try. St. Ignatius, Branchinov, he also says, those who have acquired a true spiritual understanding of repentance, included in all their labours, such as prayer, fasting, and considered a waste of a day if they have not wept for their sins, whatever other good deeds, good works they have done on that day. This is beautiful because... In those previous talks when I was saying that people do pray, people do fast, but they don't progress. They're dead. And, we, and, and the reason for that is because, for two reasons. One, they're not really struggling to do all the commandments of Christ because Christ commanded his apostles at the, before he ascended. He said, um, baptise, teaching them to do all I have commanded you, everything, not just parts of it. Like some people just say, oh, I, I like the Orthodox faith, I like the fasting, or I like reading, or I just like praying, or I just like communion. But it's no, all the commandments. 
And the fathers here say that the saints didn't congratulate themselves when they prayed or when they fasted or even good works. What they were always looking at to see if they were going okay is that they had in their hearts repentance. And I've read and I've said to you in past talks that even if they walked on water, even if they healed, even if they converted thousands and thousands of people, they examined themselves, do I have repentance for my personal sins, separate to what I've just done? Do I have repentance? And if the answer was no, then they would say, I'm in trouble. But you would say, but you just... You just did all those miracles. No, they don't look at that. They look at, do they have repentance? Because it's only through repentance that we are saved. So that is, uh, they, they really said, oh, it's a waste of the day if they had not wept for their sins. Whatever other good works they may have done on that day, the greatest of the Holy Fathers acknowledged that repentance was their sole occupation they were, they were motivated by the intention to repent and the basis of the spiritual life is repentance. That's the basis. So when you build a house, you don't build a house on sand. We, we said in the last talk that the, we build a house on the proper foundations. And what's the foundations? The foundations are Christ's commandments then he says you can have all winds and water can come but the house is solid but not only it's the commandments but when we fail in the commandments which is highly probable then we have repentance and we've talked about that I've I've actually read that quote about three times when a person then St Ignatius continues on when a person performs bodily and spiritual activities, but does not have as his sole aim repentance, which is what I just said, then such a person becomes a Pharisee. They become spiritually dead. When people say to me, oh, I feel dead, do you have repentance? No. Why why don't I have repentance, they might ask. And the answer is because you're not making an effort to do the commandments of Christ, which we're going to hear more about soon. St. Ignatius also writes, easily ruined is the seemingly good life of those who make their foundation on exclusively bodily struggle or even a series of ascetic exercises, sometimes very difficult and remarkable, and I've um, actually stressed this in the talks lately, this thing about prostrations and fasting, vigils when you keep, keep awake and try and pray in church or at home. And St Ignatius says that those people who believe that's the be end and end, or I don't know how you say it, but if that's the, that's the main thing, to do prostrations, to do some prayer ropes, to fast, he says those people will be will come to ruin. Even if some of the things are, are really remarkable, and I said 
when you hear, oh, did you hear that monk? He lives in the desert and he eats every three days. And people say he must be holy. Or another person might hear about someone, they say, oh, he stands all night and, pray and prays and his feet are bleeding from standing. He must be holy. But Saint Ignatius, he really stresses that in his, in his um, works, that he says that these things, they might be difficult, they might be remarkable, but on their own, they're demonic. They only feed a person's pride. And he says these people do not pay attention to the commandments of the gospel. Very often ascetics do not pay the least attention to the commandments of the gospel. They openly disregard them and do not value them or realise their importance in the least. To them, the most important thing is the fasting or some prostrations or whatever else they think it is, you know, sleeping on rock. Some of them wore chains in Russia. They're into the chains. Some of them walked barefooted from monastery to monastery and their feet were bleeding. And he says, no, you know, these, a lot of those people have no regard for the commandments of the gospel. Elder Macarius, which when I read this, this is what, as I said last time, this is what gave me the, the push to do the, the, this, this particular talk. It made a lot of sense to me after I read this. Because it, it actually shocked me, but it was, it was wonderful at the same time because it's, as you'll see in a minute. When someone forces himself only toward prayer, so when someone prays, struggles and does, and does pray, while he does not exert or force himself, does not struggle, uh, with regard to humility, with regard to love, with regard to gentleness and all the other virtues, in other words, the commandments, the result is much as follows. Sometimes in response to his prayer, divine grace visits him. So I, I, I said last time that prayer, the, the example of the prostitute when the, when the woman's um, child died or only son died, I can't remember now, and... Um, she was walking along and she was crying and then a prostitute saw her, felt sorry for her and she prayed and said, you know, for, for the sake of this poor woman, um, help her. And then the child rose, rose from the dead. And, and I said um, that prayer is powerful. That's why we hear even when Muslims pray, when Jews pray, when people who have not much to do with the church at all when they pray from their heart, a lot of times there's results. That doesn't mean that they're spiritual. That doesn't mean they're going to be saved. It's just that God is so merciful and loving that he does grant that. When I was in Kosovo, in Serbia, I've mentioned this before, um, I was there at a monastery, and I noticed some people coming to the church. But they were, they were dressed a little bit strange to me. They had some type of different clothing to what I was used to. And I said to the, some of the monks, who are they? They're Muslims. 
what are they doing here? They come to pray. Pray for what? They pray if their wife can't have children, or they've got marriage problems, things like that, their child's sick, all these, they come here, they come into the church, for that monastery it was St. Cosmos and Damien, and nursery healers, and they um, ask the priest to do, to, to do a little prayer, which the priest does but not wear, and of course the Petrahili, because um, we only wear that when it's Orthodox Christian, and he does some type of little prayer for them there. They pray, and they a lot of times they get what they want. But you never hear of an Orthodox going to their church, to their places. But um, this has always been the case with the Muslims, that they actually do go to Orthodox churches. Wherever they are, if they're, if they're desperate, they'll come. If a person's possessed, etc., there's a good, there's a book um, at the back there, San Arsenios the, of Cappadocia, and I think in there there's a lot of examples, because he lived in the, during the times of Muslims, and there's a lot of examples of how he healed and helped them. Did they convert? They no. Convert? Uh, sometimes there were exceptions where some of them um, did become interested, but in general they don't, because if they do, they'll be killed. So it's just... Anyway, so prayer is not a, an absolute mean, though, because your prayers are answered, it means you're spiritually progressed. That was very important. We said that last time. So a lot of times the prayers are answered. Sometimes they can even receive some grace. But then St. Macarius of Optinus says that if the person is just praying but not doing the commandments, not cultivating repentance, not cultivating love, etc., then the grace that he has, either he'll lose it, the grace that he's been given, or um, he'll become proud Oh, I've got grace, that God gave me grace, my prayers are good, etc., and then lose themselves. The abode and resting place of the Holy Spirit are humility, love, gentleness, and the other holy commandments of Christ. Prayer by itself is not enough, or fasting by itself is not enough, or even prayer and fasting is not enough. Or giving money to the poor is not enough, or whatever other good deeds we may do. It's not going to give us the grace of God, as we know. Either we, even if God does give it to us out of his love, we're either going to not use it and reject it, or we're going to get proud and destroy ourselves anyway. We need to be practising the commandments of Christ. And Elder Macarius of Optina uh, paraphrased Saint Macarius of Egypt. Now we come to Elder Joseph the Hesychist. Someone gave me this the other day. Great saint, hasn't been canonised yet, of, of Manathos, died in the 50s, I think. Acts of charity, almsgiving, and all the external good works do not suppress the arrogance of the heart. But noetic medita meditation, the labour of repentance, contrition, humility, these humble the proud mind. A bit, bit hard, but I'll explain it. He's saying that we, our aim, obviously, is to humble our hearts because our hearts are proud and where there is pride, God does not dwell. 
So for us to receive God's grace, our hearts have to be humbled. And this is exactly what I was saying in the last couple of talks, where Saint Elder Joseph is saying, even if you do work, acts of charity, good works, fasting, etc., those things don't humble the heart. He said, what humbles the heart is true prayer, meaning prayer with the heart, or if you progress, prayer of the heart, where we're praying with our heart, together with our labour to repent. Where we try to uh, repent for our sins, these humble the proud mind. These give us humility, and wherever there's humility, that's where God's grace comes. So, basically what he's saying here is the commandments of Christ. Because Christ says, blessed are those who mourn. We're going to come to that later. Blessed are those who repent. Christ spoke about repentance continually. He spoke about humility. He spoke about true prayer. St. Innocent of Moscow, the ways of receiving the Holy Spirit are purity of heart and righteousness. Now, righteousness basically means doing the right thing, which is the keeping of the commandments. Humility. Attentive listening to the voice of God in ourselves, like our conscience. Prayer, self-denial, reading and listening to the word of God, the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Of course, each of these means is effectual for receiving the Holy Spirit, but the best and surest way is to use them all together. Then you will undoubtedly receive the Holy Spirit and become holy. And what are all those things we just read? The commandments of Christ. Christ told us, whoever doesn't eat my body and drink my blood has no life. He taught us that we have to listen to the word of God and study it. He taught us that we have to cultivate humility. We have to um, um, pray and everything, not just this unbalanced type of situation. Now we come to this next section, the practice of the commandments of the gospel. St. Ignatius writes, True Christianity and true monasticism consists in the practice of the commandments of the gospel. To me, even just that, if you take that away and you want to leave uh, at, this, at this second, if you just take that and put it into your, into your hearts, true Christianity, not false Christianity, not false monasticism, pharisaical, but the true Christianity, if, if we want to be true Christians, it consists in the practice of the commandments of the gospel. A lot of people, last time when they heard the talk, and those who heard it on the CDs, they said, I never really understood that before. A lot of times people say they, they emphasise the Jesus prayer. Or they emphasise reading, or they emphasise the fasting, etc., and all these type of things, or you know, giving money to the poor, or something like that. But I've never really heard that true Christianity consists in the practice of the commandments of the gospel. When this, where this is absent, there is neither Christianity nor monasticism. 
whatever the outward appearance may be. The outward appearance might be a person or a monastery that looks fantastic, looks spiritual, looks holy, but if they do not practice the commandments of the gospel, then it's a shell. And our, now let's look at our lives, because we don't want to you know, project and look at, look at others. Let's look at ourselves. We should ask ourselves every day, do I practice the commandments of the gospel? Whenever we get proud, whether it's from the devil or whether it's from ourselves, we say, am I practicing the commandments of the gospel? Do I have repentance? And if the answer is no, then say, what's the point of the praise? It's not true. Father John Christiankin, an elder in Russia that died, I think, in 2006, seven, something like that, a very famous elder, he said the main work of a Christian, what's the main work of a Christian? Is to live according to God's commandments. Learn to live according to God's commandments. See, a lot of people, including myself, could read Father John Christiankin there, read that and pass it by. We often read things and it passes by, but we're supposed to be diligent in our study, which we're going to come to later on. But we're diligent for everything else, as I said before. Did you hear? Someone is offering 0.25% less on the interest rates for the loan. Really? There we're diligent. Others will say it's good to get stocks, buy gold, buy silver, even though they went down too. So there's a lot of things that we do in our life. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But why aren't we diligent in studying the word of God? That's, that is actually, as we're going to hear later on, uh, quite a serious sin. So, Father John confirms what we've just been saying. The main work of a Christian is to live according to God's commandments. Now, last month I also read for you the definition of ascesis, asceticism. Now, other people say asceticism are those who live in a monastery or a desert, who fast a lot, pray a lot, and etc., and do a lot of prostrations, don't see, uh, you know, those type of things. But that's not the definition of ascesis. And the definition of ascesis is the following Ascesis is man's struggle to keep the commandments of Christ. When a person is struggling to keep the commandments, then that's ascesis. Then that means that person is an ascetic. It encompasses not only his bodily and spiritual effort, but also the method by which he passes through the stages of the spiritual life to reach sanctification. St. Gregory Palamas states that ascesis is the evangelic life. Evangelic means a life according to the Gospels. So St. Gregory Palamas, one of the greatest saints in the Orthodox Church, we even dedicate a Sunday of Lent to him which is the second Sunday, uh, he says 
that ascesis is the life according to the gospel based on repentance. So again, it's the two, it's the two feet, the two legs. You can't, it's very hard to stand on one foot. We need, we need our two legs. One, to stand proper in, Christi- in, in the Christian life. One is the practice of the commandments and two is repentance. So all this was, a lot of this was said in the last talk. Also, just to get a little bit of a feel of things, St. John the Evangelist says, if you love me, in other words, Christ saying, if you love me, and me is with a capital M, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he might abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Christ saying, if you love me, in other words, if you love God, then you will keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, then the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. Another, another quote, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word meaning my teachings, which is the, the commandments, and my Father will love him. And we, capital W, we, will come to him and make our home, our in capital, meaning God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's the, the, whole, the, the Holy Trinity comes and dwells in a person who keeps the commandments of the gospel. He who does not love me, does not keep my word. See, we hear that, we're going to hear that now. A lot of people say, I love God. I was speaking to someone the other day. Um, I'm not putting the person down. He's he's got some uh, problems there. He's deceived. And he actually said, I love God. I said, you love God. And I said, well, the Bible actually says, if you love God, then you'll do the commandments. Do you go to church? He says, no. Then how do you love God? And, of course, there was no answer. St Ignatius writes, It is evident that the Lord comes to the heart of the person who carries out the commandments and makes his heart a temple and dwelling of God. So, we've heard the commandments, the commandments, the commandments. So now we're coming to, well, what are the holy commandments? And I was thinking when I was preparing this, and with God's help, I found this part here, which I think will help us. The commentary that, I'm, that, that, that is, is by St. Theophilact and St. Nikolai, the Serbian Chrysostom, St. Nikolai Velimirovic. So, we know this is a Sunday gospel, so many of you have heard it when you understand the language. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So the, the explanation says the Pharisees, who were the ones who kept everything to the letter, and the Sadducees, who were another type of sect there, um, I think they were considered like heretics. They weren't following the... I think they didn't believe in the resurrection and things like that. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were mutual enemies... They hated each other, joined together to make a common attack against Christ. 
These servants of darkness who were full of hate and jealousy sent a representative to catch Christ out and find grounds to bring him to trial. They wanted to trick him to say something which is against the law, against the Moses' laws. The fathers say they had trodden underfoot all the greatest commandments of God, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't even keep the commandments themselves. They had stepped on all the greatest commandments which had been given them through Moses and were left with only two empty shells. They followed two things, the circumcision and the observance of the Sabbath. That was for them everything. That was the most important thing. For males to be circumcised and to, to keep the Sabbath. And I like the way that St. Nikolai says here, they were left with two empty shells. But these were two commandments given by God through Moses. They were commandments of God. They were important commandments, but they weren't the greatest. It is true that these were great, these were God's commandments. However, they were not the greatest, nor were they as barren and meaningless as they had become in the time of Christ. So when they were first given by God through Moses, they were, they were, they, they were important, they had significance. But they had made it into just like, like fasting, like today, fasting. Fasting is, is, is a powerful method, tool in the spiritual life. But yet, a lot of people fast and they become more demonic than what they were before they fasted. So they've taken this wonderful, this great thing of fasting and made it into a shell. Because today most of it is a shell. Just like communion and confession, most of those things have become empty shells. The people have lost the true the meaning for them of, of, of what things. Uh, so they thought that Christ would emphasize one of the following three, because they said, "Which is the greatest commandment?" So they thought to themselves, "If he says the circumcision, sorry." There's three things he might do. He might say the circumcision is the most important. He might say the Sabbath, keeping the Saturday there is more important. Or he might make up some other commandment of his own. So they reasoned, they thought to themselves, if he says that circumcision is the God's greatest commandment, we can accuse him of belittling the Sabbath. If he says that keeping the Sabbath is the greatest commandment, we can accuse him of belittling circumcision. And if he gives some new commandment, we can accuse him of belittling God's ancient law in general. So that was the, that was the trick. That was their aim. They had such hate and such jealousy for Christ because of their vainglory. See what I said in a couple of, maybe it was the last talk, talk before, that vainglory makes us enemies of God. 
The Pharisees were vainglorious, and they became, as we say in Greek, theoktoni, which means God murderers, because they were the ones who pushed for Christ to be crucified. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Or in, other, in another gospel it says, There is no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament is to do with loving God and loving our neighbour. That is the basis of the whole law. Let's see what the explanation says. Both these commandments are to be found in the Old Testament. Although not together, they are found in two different places of the books of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5 is one of them, and Leviticus chapter 19, 18. So they're in the Old Testament. They are not among God's Ten Commandments. They are the foundation of the whole law given through Moses, but are mentioned as though in passing and were therefore noticed by few. They were there, but there was no emphasis like there was the Ten Commandments. There was an emphasis. These were in the Bible, but many, it, but many uh, didn't really kind of know that they were there or they just passed by it, like what we do today when we read. We read, we read, we read, when it says the God, that those who do not practice the commandments of the gospel are not Christians. We read it and off we go. And that's what a lot of people say, but I've never heard of that before. Well, that's the same as the Jews in that time. They never heard. It was there, but uh, we have to be diligent when we read and we have to uh, really be looking for the truth. We have to be looking of what's the best... What We have to be looking at um, uh, the, the writings of the saints so that we can gain salvation. Now, it was not by chance that they were placed under the lesser laws but by God's special dispensation. God permitted them not to be put out there and said, these are the most important. Because the human race was not, at that time, ready to receive these two commandments. What does that mean? The human race was not ready to receive these two commandments. And let's read on. St. Nikolai says, one must pass through the lower school before graduating to the higher. Like school, as I said before, we can't go to the higher classes unless we first go through the lower classes. And he says, the Ten Commandments represent the lower school of practice and were a preparation for the higher school of love. You shall love the Lord your God. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second depends on it and has its origin in it. He who loves God will easily love his neighbour and he who does not love God will only delude himself that he loves his neighbour. Now this is to me, when I read this, this was wonderful. Because, this is what it says here. If you haven't got love for God, you can't love your neighbour. 
And if some people supposedly think they've got love of their neighbour, but they haven't got love for God, he said they're only deluding themselves. Such a person can at least only have a certain foggy sympathy for his neighbour and this out of selfishness. When we say neighbour, we don't mean the next door neighbour. We, you know, we, need, we need everyone. Uh, so such a person who does not love God can only have a little bit of sympathy, maybe a little bit of compassion, something there. And a lot of times it's out of selfishness. I feel sorry for those people in Africa. I'm going to give them money to make me feel better or that people can know about it or because that's the right thing to do, virtue's sake, see? That's for virtue's sake or for, or for vainglory or why should I give them anything? That's when we just don't want to give anything at all. But without love of God, there cannot be love of neighbour. Love of our visible neighbours shows our love for the invisible God. This is proof of our love for God. I think it's simple, isn't it? If we haven't got love of God, we can't have love for our neighbour. Anyway, so the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. That's the first commandment. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that, no one dared question him. I love that part there. He says, this this person that came to trap him. See, it says he's the lawyer. When we say lawyer, we mean like a, a, a person of the law. Like a, doesn't mean like a legal, but it means um, like someone's got a doctorate. You know, we say doctor. A doctor of what? He might be a doctor that studied... Um, sardines, something like that. That's his specialty. So he's a doctor of sardines. The, this lawyer first came to tempt Christ with his question, but he was helped when he heard the wise answer of Christ and amended his ways. And for this reason, Christ praised him. Jesus looked at him with love. In other gospel, it says, Jesus looked at him with love and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, last month... I actually spoke a lot about this thing about whole burnt offerings and sacrifices because the Jews also believed that God was pleased, even though it was a commandment, to sacrifice animals as they did. And people thought that, that again, that became like an empty shell, the sacrificing of animals. And David in Psalm 50 said that this is not what, you know, obviously we do, but the most important thing what they used to do then. But the most important thing, David said, is that God wants a contrite and humble heart, a heart that's humble and repentant. And that's worth more than all the sacrifices. And today it's the same thing. You can do all the fasting and all the prayers and whatever else, but if we haven't got a contrite and humble heart, then salvation is not available to us. And that's why the fathers say, Re cultivate repentance, like Elder Joseph said, cultivate repentance, humility, etc. And love of God, obviously, and love of our neighbour. Now, St. Siloan of Manathos, 
who died in the 1930s, I think. He was on um, his, the monastery of St. Padaliman. He said, if we wish to love God, we must observe all that the Lord has commanded us in the Gospels. We read this a few months ago as well. The saints who truly loved God loved their enemies and prayed for the whole world. See, how can... Uh, we, we have examples of, of, of great saints that prayed for the whole world. But what? how did they pray for the whole world? Where did they get that from? From their love of God. See, this was what we said early on, that the love of God is the source of our love for our neighbour. Without love of God, we cannot have love for our neighbour. I remember years ago, someone's come up to me and said um, that they've come in the church. They've been in the church for a while, a few years, and they said that I feel nothing. I don't feel any love for anyone. The, the notion of love makes me sick. And I said to him, that's good news. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And the person's eyes opened. Why are you saying that? Because I prefer that than the Pharisees that come and say, I've got love of God. I've got love of my neighbour. I love everyone. When it's not real. I said, at least you know that you're full of poison, which means now you can ask God to heal you and give you love. Someone says, I can't love my parents. Or someone says, I can't love my wife or I can't love my children. It's okay. That's the first step. Now, what you need to do is to start getting closer to God through the keeping of the commandments, trying to keep the commandments, through repentance. And then the more you become humble, the more God will give you his grace the more you become close to God and the closer you become to God, the more then you can love others. So someone might ask me, does that mean that those who aren't, who don't love God, can't love people? I will say that true love, as St. Maximus the Confessor says, is someone who cares for the salvation of the other per for, for people's souls. That's true love. The other types of loves are superficial and a lot of times they're motivated by some selfish reasons. I'll love you if you love me. The monastics who cultivate love of God in the monasteries, especially... Um, the, um, we're talking about the proper monasteries because there's monasteries and there's monasteries. There's monasteries which are external, looks nice, beautiful, nice services, nice singing, everything's really, really nice, but it's an empty shell. And then there's monasteries which cultivate humility, which cultivate repentance, which cultivate love, love of God and love of neighbour. Anyway, let's look at those monasteries. Those monasteries there and those monastics... Remember on Manathos, they, they serve liturgy every day. And there are a lot of, you know, there's monasteries, there's 20, 20 main monasteries, then there's skeets. But even in a monastery, they might have not just one liturgy, 
they might they might be because they've got so many priest monks there they might actually serve on one day around you know 10 liturgies and then there's all those little houses all around Manathos in the skeets and they live you know these hermits and things like that they serve liturgy as well and I remember on that video that was on 60 minutes in America that the father there said that there are 1,000 liturgies served a day on Manathos, 1,000 divine liturgies. They say that when Manathos, when they are praying in the morning, because they get up early in the morning, midnight, and all those services are going on in their prayers, it's like Manathos is on fire, divine fire. And those people, because of their, as I said, because of their humility and their love that they have for God, have true love for all of mankind. Remember when we did the talks on Elder Baesios, that he would say that he would pray for married couples, couples that were, um, you know, arguing and could be ready for a divorce. He often would say because he would feel that he would feel compelled that he needed to pray for everyone. Monasteries pray for women that are pregnant, women that are giving birth, women that have given that sorry that are that are in the process of giving birth, and women that are taking care of their children, married couples, children as well when they get a little bit older, adolescents. They pray that they don't get mixed up in drugs and in the wrong company. They pray that, that couples don't divorce. They pray for alcoholics, for gamblers. They pray for uh, those that are addicted to sexual things. They pray for widows and for orphans because they are helpless a lot of times. They pray for people that are contemplating a divorce, as I said, or contemplating suicide or contemplating an abortion. They pray for the poor, they pray for the hungry, they pray for those that are travelling. They pray for those that are lost, for those that are persecuted, for those that are oppressed, for those that have been kidnapped, for those that are captive, for those that are in war, for those that are in catastrophes, afflictions. And they pray for the salvation of the whole world. Now that can only come from love of God. So I don't, you know, these, when you say, oh, there are people that go and help in Africa and this and that, I don't know their motivation. True love of neighbour can only come from a true love of God and a true love of God comes from the keeping of the commandments and repentance. Be um, the saints who truly love God love their enemies and prayed for the whole world. We also heard a couple of months ago where the saints would not only pray for all that people, but would pray for their own, for, the, for those who hate them. And as I said, some of them, their love was so overflowing that they even prayed for the devil, that he, would, that he repent. But obviously, that's not a, but that's how much love they had. They even felt sorry for him. Elder, they say it was Elder Paisius that, that this happened to, that he was praying 
and he was so overwhelmed by the grace of God that he felt sorry for the devil and he began to pray for him for his repentance. And suddenly, I mean, Elder Jesus says it's about someone else. Some people say it was him, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Some elder was praying and then he saw a face of the demon, of, of the devil next to him that was snickering and laughing at him um, and says, basically, I'll, I'll never repent. Because to repent means you need humility. So what does uh, St. John in his epistles say? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that, we, that we, he who loves God must love his brother also. Love everyone, in other words. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, that's very important. Do we hate? If we're honest, we all know that we all are overcome by that passion. When we are overcome by that passion, some of us more, some of us less, then we have to know that we are, uh, we are called a murderer and that we cannot be saved. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but not have love, it profits me nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one to, lines 1 to 8. St. Paul says, love is the base. If well, It doesn't matter what you do, he says here, you can give your body, you can die a martyr, you can feed all the poor you want, but if you haven't got love, it's all for nothing. And in the last talk, I also read a little part which says, where Christ says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and come in and have neglected the value of matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Another part of the gospel says, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. This part was where the Pharisees were accusing Christ of something trivial. And he said to them, you, get, you give tithes like 10%. And they even got to the stage of even keeping the law so strict that they even did it for their herbs. And he didn't say that you shouldn't do that. He just let them go. He says, you should have... That's, that's not as important as justice and love of God. And justice, Theophilac says, means love of neighbour. So justice and the love of God. Again, the two greatest commandments. He's saying to them, you want to give you one-tenth of your parsley or your herbs or whatever, oregano. That, that's up to, they used to give one-tenth to the temple and, and all that, and to the priest. If you want to do that, you should do that, even though it's to the point of ridiculous. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. In other words, if you want to save the whale that's beached on the whatever, then do it. But you don't neglect everyone else that's um, around the world starving and put in a lot of resources. I said once here, uh, it was like a, um, uh, a bit of a joke. Well, not a joke, I think I was serious, but some people got offended. And I said about um, the amount of 
money that goes into rescuing a cat that's in a tree to bring out all the, you know, the fire brigade and waste all the money of, of the taxpayer, you know, because there's a cat stuck in the tree or there's a cat on a cliff. So out come all the, all the, all the hoists and all the rock climbing gear and put people's life to go and save a cat and for everyone to go, oh, look at that, he's got love. Or is he an idiot? And then a couple of days later, on the, um, it came to my notice that somewhere, I think it was in America, I think it was in America, because I even used the word, I said, they get cranes, they, they do the whole thing. A couple of days after I did that talk, I read that a goat got stuck on a bridge somewhere in America and they had to get this gigantic crane to come and take the goat down. That's a lot of money. And someone might say, well, shouldn't they save the goat? But that money can go somewhere else. That money can go to, um, to, to um, save people. Is that love? I think, I think people have got mixed up with what is love and what is good deeds. The Pharisees even got to the stage of the washing of hands and utensils and all those type of things. And Christ said in another part, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have commend, condemned the guiltless. That was on the last talk. Anyway, now we come to the Ten Commandments. God's commandments are God's law which he gave his people and they point, uh, point out exactly what a man must do. These commandments point out what a person must do and what he must avoid if he wants to love God and his neighbour. All the commandments are contained in two commandments, love of God and love of neighbour. We've already established that. So the two main commandments are love of God and love of neighbour. That's the main commandments. And it says here, however, in order to more clearly show us our obligations to God and neighbour, they are further broken down into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments of the law were arranged on two tablets. As you know, Moses, when he went up, he, he um, came down with two tablets that God had given him. On the first tablet were written the first four commandments, which, which concern love for God. On the second tablet were written the next six commandments, which concern love of neighbour. The Ten Commandments are only a shadow of Christ's law on love. We said that it's a lower school. I don't think they even mention the word love. There's no mention of the word love in those commandments, I think, if I remember right, as we're going to read now. So the first four are to do with love of God, even though the way it's written doesn't really say that because the Jews at that time were quite spiritually dull and... The next six commandments are to do with love of neighbour. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other God before me. So I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other God bef gods before me. That sounds simple. Someone would say God is one and you shouldn't worship any other gods. But... In the New Testament, we take these commandments and go deeper into them. 
in the confer in the in this book. the Exmolitarion, which is a manual of confession written by Saint Nicodemus. This is the book which spiritual fathers should use when they confess people. They've got all the canons in there and all the, the, the penances, and, but there's also a lot written here about repentance and things like that. Now, some spiritual fathers say, oh, you know, it's good to read because um, it teaches you repentance, it teaches you God's love and forgiveness it teaches you what is sin, etc. Other people might say, oh, people shouldn't have it because it only should be used by the priest. Well they've, well, they've mass produced them. I would say that if someone is a fanatic, then whatever book they're going to use, they're going to, they're going to take it out of context. And these, a lot of these things that are in here are very difficult to apply today because people have become really, really down. But there are a lot of good things. And in one part of this is, is, is goes through the Ten Commandments of what the priest asks the person who comes to confession, especially for the first time. And he goes through, and the way that St. Nicodemus has set it out there, it's the Ten Commandments, and after, uh, under each commandment, it's the questions that the priest would ask. And from those questions, we can understand what is the first commandment. So, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. We, we sell that book, by the way, but... As I said, read it humbly if you're gonna if you're gonna read it, and I think it's a very valuable book because, as I said, there's things there at the end there on repentance and wonderful things. Perhaps you have denied God or your faith, or have said you you would deny them. So, deny God means to actually say I don't believe in God. Perhaps you have willfully had thoughts of blasphemy or unbelief. The other one is that you've done it. Here you've only had thoughts that you might deny God or you've had blasphemous thoughts, unbelief, etc., about the, the, the divine mysteries or other things of the faith or have held a heretical opinion. All these are to do with the first commandment. So we've got to be careful. There are some thoughts that come to us which are thrown to us from the demons, blasphemous and some of them, and a lot of times, they're those, well, they're not our thoughts. But people, if they're oversensitive, they get a bit knocked around, they say, these are my thoughts, because that's what, that's what the demons want you to believe, that they're your thoughts, that you're blaspheming, that you're saying all these things, that you don't believe in God, etc., so that you can become hopeless and lose yourself. That's why it's important to confess often to, um, uh, to a spiritual father, so that the spiritual father can actually say, look, you know, that's not your thoughts. Uh, but of course, they might be our thoughts, and if that's, if that's the case, then we should actually um, uh, approach confessing those things. But what's it mean by heretical opinion? Well, heretical opinion is to say that um, Francis of Assisi is a saint, like it's a Catholic saint, or the one that was just recently canonised here in Sydney is a real saint according to offer. It's not that we don't recognise saints outside of the Orthodox Church. That's a heretical opinion. Or to say that the baptisms of heretics are valid, that's a heretical opinion. To send your children to Catholic school and the children actually say the creed in the wrong way, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, that's heretical. 
and the children get confused and do their, their cross with all, all wrong. Ecumenism is another heresy to say that the Catholic Church is the same and everyone's the same and, and we're all going to join one day because you know, there's no difference. That's all heretical. This is all, when we, when we believe those things, we are going against the first commandment. Perhaps you, have, you believe in predestination. Predestination is when people think that it's, oh, that person was meant to go to hell. You know, some of the Presbyterians believe in stuff like that. God has people who he's chosen to be saved and people who he chose not to be saved. Those things are not right. God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. Perhaps you are superstitious. You know, things like full moons, star signs and other ridiculous things. You know, these are super, there's no place for an orthodox Christian. Again, if we do that, we're breaking the first commandment. Perhaps you have tempted God by seeking signs and miracles without there being any need. And we've already done a talk on those back in the 30s, 35, 34. I did a lot, of talk, a lot, of, a lot on that, on how blasphemous it is to seek signs and miracles. It's not a good sign. You know, it's, not, it's not proper. Perhaps you have read books opposed to the faith and virtue. So that means we've read books which are opposite to Christianity, teaching us against the commandments of Christ, basically. Perhaps you, have, you, you do not have correct piety towards divine things. Sometimes we're not careful. We put icons on seats. We don't treat the holies properly. Perhaps you have practised magic or cast a spell on a couple or cast a spell on animals so that the wolf does not eat them. This is, this, of course, that's for people that live in the uh, rural areas. There are a lot of people, Orthodox Christians that live in rural areas. Foxes would come and attack their chickens and animals and things like that, or wolves. And um, they used to go to some magician and say, look, do a spell. Or they used to do spells themselves and say, so that they can be protected. Or perhaps you made some type of lucky charms or some type of amulets or wore them or have practised some other sort of magic. People do this for their car, for their house, for their business. They, they put these things on their children. Why is it in this? Why is this under the first commandment? Because the Holy Father say those who go to these places, anyone who gets involved in these things... They're denying God. And I've said this before. Perhaps you have sought magic, magicians or fortune tellers to help you when you are ill or to find a lost object or to reveal riches to you or to perform some other like things. Now, people are into this a lot today, including Orthodox Christians. When we visit those places, when we involve ourselves in those places, we are denying God. Perhaps you committed a mortal sin and communed unworthily without confessing and receiving the necessary penance from your spiritual father. That is a denial that the fathers, he put it under this, that we commit serious sins and then we go and commune. We don't, we, we don't, we don't care. We haven't gone to a spiritual father to um, confess it. For this is the greatest sin of all, according to St. John the Faster. We become like Judas, you see, because when Judas uh, communed unworthily and then later on the devil entered him and then he went and betrayed Christ. Perhaps you did not hope in the compassion of God. 
that you, we, we doubt that God is compassionate and loving and forgiving. Or perhaps you commit sin purposely, thinking that God is compassionate and will forgive you. That's a big problem that uh, people fall into is they say, oh, I'll sin and I'll just go and f- confess because God will forgive me. And I'm talking about serious sins. Or perhaps you decided to commit a sin as much as possible and when the opportunity to commit the sin uh, had passed, then you will repent. In other words, a person's got an opportunity to do a sin with, with someone or do something while they've got the chance, they'll do it. And then when that chance goes away, then they go, oh, now I'll go and confess and repent. Perhaps you do not pray to God day and night, as Christians should. How is that a denial of God? Well, Saint, um, I forgot which saint it was, but they say that he who does not, uh, he who does not pray cannot be saved because they have no interest in coming in union with God. It's a denial. Perhaps that's why Saint Seraphim, he said, you know, if you can't do much, do a little bit. Say the creed, rejoice, I thought three times, and the and the um, our father three times, even a simple thing like that. A couple of prostrations, little simple things. As long as someone does some prayer. Perhaps you partook of foods that have been offered to idols. In the city, back in my days when I used to be young and go down there, but I think they're still there, there's the Hari Krishnas, you know, the Hari Ramas down there. And um, they give little little cakes, those little things, whatever they give, they've been offered to idols. So Hinduism is uh, believed in many gods. In the first commandment it says you should believe in the one God. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Those who directly worship idols and bow down to the creation rather than the creator or indirectly through the attachment they have for material goods and the things of this world break this commandment. Perhaps you have such greed and love of money so much that your mind is constantly occupied with such things and your heart is affixed to them. When a person is obsessed with money, then that they break in the second commandment because money is, they're making money an idol. Perhaps you're a slave to your stomach to such an extent that you're always thinking about foods and drinks and your heart is attached to them. And that's where St. Paul says, whose God is their belly. That's again breaking commandment number two. Perhaps you believe in your dreams and or the dreams of others. That's forbidden as well. Perhaps you're a hypocrite and not a true Christian and outwardly you appear to be pious and faithful to God, but inside you are unfaithful and impious. In other words, as many as have hypocritical piety rather than true piety... And all those who limit piety to external things and neglect the weightier matters of the law, which we've already said about, they look at little little things which are important and don't worry about the big things like justice and mercy and faith, love of God, etc., transgress this commandment. And we've already mentioned all that. Avoid making idols either of things or practices, says St. Macarius of Optina. 
and he's, he was making reference there to some person who had become obsessed with fasting, and he goes, you've made, you've made fasting into an idol. You've become obsessed with it. You don't make anything into an idol. Any practice. Is that what they call soccer and football, like a religion, like even on the, you know... The worldly radios, they say some people have it as their religion. Actually, like, is that well? I think that I think that would they would have to say that when it becomes an obsession, they become so involved in it, then that's basically for an Orthodox Christian. I'm not talking about the others. That's that I don't. You know, but um, the um, that would be uh, idol worship because that's their god, whether it's money or themselves or their properties. Or whatever. That's just their heart is focused on that. And we should look at ourselves to see perhaps we're breaking the second commandment. And the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And some people think, oh, that just means when you blaspheme. But there's a bit more to it. It says blasphemers against God or the saints or cause others to blaspheme break this commandment. When you take oaths or make Others take oaths, like I swear to God, or God is my witness. That's forbidden. Taking God's name or the saints' names in vain, like oh God or oh my God, as they do now, or OMG and other stupidities that goes on. Some of you who still watch films, you'll see Hollywood has this thing about blaspheming Christ within their films. Not Muhammad, but... It's continual blasphemies against Christ. And I often say to myself, what, you know, by doing that, they actually, all they're doing is they're showing their madness, their, their hate towards Christ, like the Jews did of old, and all enemies of, of um, the Christian faith through the centuries. And in a way, they're advertising, believe it or not. Even though they're blaspheming, they're advertising because people look at that and say, well, why are they always mentioning Christ? If they don't believe in him, if they don't uh, think, they think only stupid people believe in those things, why do they keep up bringing that up, even if they're swearing? It's because they are being pushed by the demons who inspire them. Remember that even in pagan times, as we read in the prologue, they made fun, they used to get comedians to make fun of baptism and the Holy Eucharist and they, people used to sit around in crowds and laugh, etc., etc. And it was a whole send-up. It's been happening for... Um, Thousand, you know, two thousand years, and also even in Russia, when 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 communist came, co- communism came, and they had the relics of the saints in the museums and put them next to stuffed animals to try and make out that they were they were they weren't real. And they tried in schools to teach atheism. They blasphemed Christ to the at whatever level they could. And at the end, communism fell and Russia became Orthodox Russia again. So they lost. Remember that it said there that um, 
Saint Nikolai, I think I've heard some interpretations say, say, say that even the the demons confess Christ. So they, through their films, through their books, that this you know don't become disparish and say, "Oh, look at the way it's become." You just say, "Well, they they it, they they must be doing it because Christianity is still." Strong. Why else would they do it? And um, using the words of Scripture pridefully and for jokes, we don't mention things from the Bible and, and make jokes of them and things like that. Those who do not endure misfortunes and illnesses with patience and thanksgiving, those who uh, endure misfortunes and illnesses with patience and thanksgiving, but rather complain and criticise God as unjust. Why me? Why did I have to become sick? God is unjust. God is cruel. This is breaking the commandments. This is how the New Testament gives a deeper meaning to all of these commandments compared to how the Jews understood them back in their days. Those, and still do, those who doubt the teachings of the church or praise more worldly writings and philosophies. Okay, oh, that was a really great thing. We we're more excited about worldly things, about worldly movies or worldly books or philosophies and teachings rather than our Christian faith and making a promise to God and not fulfilling it. That's also breaking the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So when we make a promise... To do something and then we don't do it, we're breaking the third commandment. So there's a lot of, there's a deeper meaning there. Are there any questions or a couple of questions, Joanna? The dear God is, well, we're not saying it with religious feeling, are we? Because we say if we're we only use those when we have in our heart and it's like a, we feel what we're saying. But these things are like, we're saying them like that. There's no, it doesn't correspond, I think, in really in our heart. If it's from the, yes, if it's from the heart, if it's from the heart, that's different to when you just say it like, like, oh my God, and you see it all the time and things like that. But when someone, when you, um, let's just say, those that were in New York at the time when the towers were hit and the tower and people were jumping out, people were going, Oh oh God, but that and that for some of them really meant that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's a different thing to when we say it in vain and, and not really feeling, yes? Another question is, you know how you were saying that we uh, offer to idols and uh, the issue and tomorrow in present day is the meat being halal. But mm-hmm. when I looked at the Bible, the Gospel, and I saw at Corinthians, I think it was chapter 8, verse 23 or 28, um, it says um, that all things are from God and the earth is of God, everything is from God. When we um, are invited to someone's house, uh, we don't ask what it is, unless our conscious be, you know, um, bothered. Bothered. So, how does that fit in with today being halal? And we know that halal exists and it's offered, you know, to Muhammad and 
was offered to God, but in their way. But um, it's this topic I have not been able to get good information that I know. When I read something, I don't like to read something that just a priest says. I like to read something which an elder says. But not just an elder, one elder, but an elder in Romania or an elder in Russia and a elder in Greece. And there's a consensus so that we can get an idea of that what is the, the actual teaching on this, on this uh, matter. A lot of people are concerned about this halal thing, but um, I wrote an email to some person overseas and one, he just said, when you bless it, that, that was his thing. And I often say to people that if it was a, if it was a, a you know, like the Orthodox Church is like an eye. So like the eye is really sensitive. Once a little speck goes in that eye, the eye becomes so irritated, it's very painful, irritated, and it won't stop until you get it out. The Orthodox Church is like that. Once something wrong comes in, the church reacts. So, for example, like the ecumenism thing. It's not just something where people are saying, oh, I don't know anything about it, it's bad, I don't know, I've never heard of it before. It's, there's reaction, there's reaction in Greece, there's reaction in, in Serbia, in Russia, in you know, Jerusalem, there's reaction here, there's holy elders everywhere and people that are against it. It's a reaction which comes because the church is holy and always it reacts when there's wrong things. With the business of halal, I haven't seen any reaction yet. It doesn't mean that there's nothing, I'm, I'm just saying for myself. I haven't seen it written anywhere. I haven't seen it, um, some, something which is credible for me to grasp. And until that happens, I'm not, I can't say exactly, because I've read that, what you're saying, and there is something to do there about the blessing and, and not to ask, but I don't understand it properly. I have not got the information uh, uh, there. So when I present something, I always want to make sure that I have the information so that when you hear it, you'll say that's correct. That Because I'll back it up with different fathers. Yes? What's meant by a contrite heart? A contrite heart is a heart which is repentant of its sins and humbled and repentant. Excuse me, Father, is kosher the same as a halal? Kosher, well, kosher is another thing, but that's just, a, I think the kosher people, they don't do prayers. I think but they just want to make sure that there's no milk in certain things because they don't, they don't have milk with... They, they slaughter the animals in a similar way, don't they? Oh, oh they and do. Kosher, the animals have to have their throat cut. They, they can't be killed by stone. Oh, they, they, but do they say prayers? Yeah, it, the, the Muslims say the shahada, the Muslim profession of faith from the Quran, and the... Shaket, the Jewish slaughterer, says a Hebrew prayer as well. Alright, well see, I, I haven't looked into it, but see the thing is then, do we buy halal? Do we buy the kosher things and things like that? As I said, um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say don't buy when I don't know. Uh, I think you were next. Yeah, I had a question about uh, something about the devil. You said that this month or some organisation on that ethos was Praying for the devil, and yet I Not an organisation. Some monks, from their holiness and their love, they sometimes. You know about this question. Uh, 
and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why would anyone want to go and say, well, save the devil? He's done such a bad thing. That's correct. Resist the devil so that he doesn't make you sin. When you're praying for the devil, you're not, you're not, he's not, you're not sinning. You're not, you're not participating in a sin. I'd like to see the devil in hell, or he should be. Yes, well, that's, that's um, where he's going to go, but I'm just saying, not for us. We're talking about these exceptional, yeah, these exceptional cases of saints that even felt sorry for him and prayed. That's not we. We're not going to go home and now and pray for the demons. But we haven't got that spirituality. But resist the devil means do not listen to him. Do not be forced to do sin. They're not sinning by praying for him. They are actually sorry for, for him and saying to, for him to um, repent. But that's from their love. Even God, he still loves the, de- the, the devil, believe it or not. Why is there a place Because he chooses to, um, not to repent. But that doesn't stop God. God can't hate anyone. So God is, is love and God loves everyone. If, we put out, if the devil goes to hell, it's because he chooses to go to hell. And if we go to hell, it's because we have cut ourselves off from God's light. Hell, just a sec, hell, the definition of hell, is the absence of God's light. It's the absence of God's love. And that's what torments us. It's like when you see someone in the world and they say they're suffering and they're depressed. and A lot of times they are absent of God's um, grace because they don't want the grace. I can't hear stories. Uh, uh, question. The, uh, Jesus said to his apostles, I saw Satan fall like lightning or something like yeah. that. So, I mean, because of his um because of his disobedience and his pride. Somewhere on the cross Jesus crushed the devil permanently. Mm-hmm. So why, why, why Jesus go back after his resurrection say that now I'll, I'll bring the devil back up? The teaching of the church is that the devil, because of his own refusal to repent, will go to hell. And that's why God created hell, which is in the next talk. But it doesn't mean that God does not still love the devil in the sense that he feels sorry for him. And when these saints become illumined and enter into what's called theosis, they can have traces of God's um, love. See, we think and say, oh, you know, um, someone did all these crimes, killed millions of people, and God hates him. God does not hate anyone. But they, through their sins, cut themselves off from God. So because it says God is love, have you read that? Not God is hate. So... God cannot hate. If people go to hell, it's because they put themselves in there, not that he himself rejoices in them going to hell. It's just inevitable because of their disobedience. But I only say that because of such bad things which have happened through the centuries of madness. The, the devil is actually, you know, inspired the sinful man to do horrible things.
Christians consider him as the enemy, but we're not God, so therefore we can't take away God's quality of having love for everyone. In other words, I'm not specific, but if I'm at the devil, I don't, I don't want him. No, because if you say it, you probably say it with the wrong spirit, and um, uh, you'd be um, knocked out. Um, how would it be knocked out? Well, because you're mucking around. Whenever we play with things like that, then then God uh, permits Him to torment us when people dabble in things. This is not for us. I gave an exception of, of a person that gave love. I can't really say more than that. That's, that's an exception. That's not required for us. I, I just find it. Well, I won't go any of those people who want to love the devil. Sorry? I just don't want to go any of those people who just want to pray for us. They're, they're orthodox saints. Well, that's how I put it. That's my opinion. No, I'm uh, at this moment, my present stage of growth. Maybe I'm um, your comments have been noted. Okay, anything else? Yes? In the Old Testament, the commandments lay out pretty plainly and the name of the Hebrews are like, thou shalt do this or thou shalt not, not do that. So when we talk about uh, Christ's commandments, how can, you, how can you show from the New Testament, for example, to someone that going to church is actually a command of Christ, especially, I suppose, to someone that doesn't accept you know, whole tradition? Well, I think I spoke to you about that. Was it you, someone else? I was at a name day celebration and there was a Greek fellow there who was quite proud that he can speak to Jehovah Witnesses and um, evangelical type of Greeks, like Baptists and all that. And he said to, and he said to the people there, when you speak to them, you've got to use the Bible because they only believe in the Bible. So you've got to prove whatever you're going to prove to prove it with the Bible only. Was, was, was that you I spoke to you about that? No. Yeah. And then later on when I spoke to him, I said to him, or did he say to himself, I'm not sure about the memorial prayers. I said, so how would you, um, how would you explain to these people who don't listen to tradition, who don't acknowledge tradition, and they just follow the Bible, in their distorted way, how would you actually uh, teach them, uh, explain to them that why the Orthodox Christians do memorial prayers for the dead? And he says, well, when you look at it, it's not really uh, a teaching of the church. So what he did is that by trying to convince these people using the Bible only, he himself lost contact with tradition and he blasphemed by saying, well, when you look at it, he goes, the memorial prayers really, they don't really, they're not that important. So he denied something which is an orthodox teaching. So what I'm trying to say is, I never try to prove to them anything just with the Bible. I've got no interest. So why should I sit down and read to them, you know, from the Bible? And even if I do, they're not going to listen a lot of times anyway. And St. Paul commands us, a, her a heretic, after the first and second admonition, disregard them, leave them alone. You can tell someone's got a good disposition and someone that, 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 that doesn't. It doesn't matter what. Even if you prove it from the Bible, they're going to they're gonna distort it. Does that answer your question? Um, did you have a question? Was that you? Or did you already ask a question? Oh, 
Now you already asked it. Is that it? Yes, Helen? Oh, I don't know. You might talk about this in your second part, but you were saying at the beginning uh, about balance in the spiritual life. That's coming. Well, basically, a lot, well, the, we've already spoken a little bit about it. See, by reading the commandments and going into detail, we're actually seeing that uh, Christianity is not just something which is just a couple of things. It's everything. And if we don't struggle in every aspect of it, which is the keeping of the commandments, then uh, we are going to uh, we lose ourselves. That's why a lot of people lose themselves, like the ascetics who were in the desert, who did all these great ascetical feats, but at the same time weren't even keeping the commandments. So is that a balance? No. I'm just thinking, like, for today's person, I don't know, just on myself... On today's what, sorry? With today's people, um, is mm-hmm. it possible to actually kind of dive in and be able to do everything, or would it come just gradually, bit by bit? When a person comes to the church, they are uh, required to study the commandments and apply them in their lives. That is what they should do in the beginning, and that's not what's done. A lot of times priests will tell them, you know, keep the fast, confession, or do this and do that, but, you know, commune, commune, commune all the time. They they mention these type of things, but they don't mention the practice of the commandments. What we are more lenient in is the things like how much prayer to do and how much fasting to do and how many prostrations to do, how much study to do. But the basic commandments of what Christ is teaching, we all have to try and apply that in our everyday life. And if we do that, then that's the essence of the spiritual life. From that comes everything. Is that... Is that yes, I'm okay, let's have the, um, the, the break there and uh, we will come... Yes, we'll come back soon. Okay, we return. Our friend Mark there came up later on and he apologised and said that at this stage of his life he just has certain issues and that he um, was troubled about those comments. But at least he understood that we can't always... We're not always in the position to grasp everything of the church. That concept that this time you can't grasp, I can't grasp a lot of things. But the humble thing is let it go and let it come when the time comes. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So this is to do with, in the Jewish times, keeping the Sabbath, but for us now it's keeping Sunday and feast days for God. And in the book, it says in the, in the confessional book, the priest, the priest asks, perhaps you do not go to church two times a day, day and night, as the divine apostles command. So it's interesting here, people say, what's this two times a day? In the ancient times, the apostles instructed the Christians to go to church twice a day, in the morning and in the night. In Russia, in, in you know, Serbia and Greece, etc., where the country was orthodox, everything was centred around the church, many people would go to the morning service and in the, to the night. In Constantinople, during the Byzantine Empire, again, they would go often. Of course, 
like when, you know, when you go to Greece, each area has a church. So you have a church in your area, you just walk. But that's not how it is now. So it's very difficult to keep this, uh, these things. People work, they go far away. In the old days, the people used to be in their fields and then just go to the church, which was in the village and the town, etc. So obviously it's very difficult to keep that, but at least we can, uh, we can humble ourselves and say, look how the early Christians, how zealous they were for, you know, and that. Or at least you do not, or at least you do not go to church every Sunday and feast day. And here he says, when we mean by feast day, it's Vespers, Matins and Liturgy. Most people just go to um, liturgy. So this is um, uh, where we a lot of times fail. Those who work on these days, including unnecessary household duties. My mother told me a story where she said that in her village they used to keep feast days. That was like, you know, you don't work on feast days. And one person decided to go take her olives to the mill and took her donkey there where the donkey would then, she would type the donkey there to turn the, 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 the stone around which crushed the olives to make oil. And it was the uh, major feast day for them, not a major, but a saint's day, I think it must have been a church in their village of St. Pareskevi. And as the, she um, purposely didn't want to um, follow the traditions of not working on that day as the donkey was going around it just the leg cracked and broke and the donkey uh, fell down and I also read in one of the elders from Anathos recently that it said that there they keep that you know they do not work on feast days and things like that so one day uh, someone from the world donated boxes of fresh fish to the monastery but it turned out that it came on a feast day. And the abbot of the monastery uh, said, leave it there. They said, we're not going to do any work on this day. So the fish went off. Interesting. I often think of that and say, well, you know, how much do we do things on these days that are unnecessary, including household duties? Those who, do go, those who go to church out of habit only in order to pass the time or to socialise, that, that's wrong as well. People who do not read spiritual books, especially on these days. Clergy who do not teach the people also break the commandment. Perhaps you speak with others while in church or laugh impiously, impiously or you do not uh, pay attention in church but willfully let your mind think about worldly things Perhaps you do not fast on Wednesdays and Fridays and during other fast periods, and perhaps you have sexual relations with your spouse on Sundays and feast days. Perhaps you do not give alms to the church or the poor on those days as well. So that's what the fathers of the church put as for commandment number four. And commandment number four was, as we just read, um, remember the Sabbath day. But of course, for us now it's a Sunday. To keep it holy, six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So we work the six days on the Sunday is the day we dedicate to God. That's why I do these talks on Sunday. Because it's just like we go to church and then we're listening to the word of God. 
on Sunday. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which, is the, which the Lord your God is given you. Now, a lot of people think this just means mother and father, but you'll be, interested, you'll be quite surprised to see. It says, children who do not honour their parents with the following four things transgress this commandment. We're supposed to honour our parents, love our parents, be obedient and, thanks, and be thankful. Perhaps you, you swore or struck your father or mother or when you, they are sick and in need of assistance, perhaps you do not care or help them. So that sounds correct for that commandment, but it goes on. And parents should do the following six things. So it's the commandment just doesn't mean honour your father and your mother. It actually is for the parents to also what they have to do with, with their children. And parents have to have to do the following things based on the emotional, physical and spiritual um, care of them. Firstly, words of good counsel. Do parents counsel their children with good words? Good example of living through works. Are parents a good example? You know, that's what people say, oh, I sent my child to Sunday school, I um, taught the children and this and that, but they don't believe. The children don't... F- learn much by words they learn more through example and that's where we get confused and we think that the Sunday school is going to help our children but it doesn't really the example is what helps the children when they see their parents praying when they see their parents have love for each other when they see their parents uh, dedicating themselves to the house to the church to the etc all these things helping the poor visiting uh, protection from evil company. Do you protect? Do the parents protect their children not to hang around with people that are not good? Education or learning a craft from good teachers and craftsmen that the parents are obligated to make sure their children are educated and, he, and learn a craft. But of course, most parents today, that's the most important. The most important for parents today is that children get a good education, they work 5,000 jobs, just to put their children, to go and send them to Protestant schools or Catholic schools so that they can educate their children, making sure that they, get a, they go to university, etc. And um, that's just one aspect. How about all the other things? Instruction through physical discipline for the purpose of correction. So here the Holy Father's actually saying, physically discipline your children. In other words, do you give them smacks to discipline them? Now... We hear a lot about this physical discipline, corporal punishment, and uh, the psychologists of today, and uh, they would say, no, no, we shouldn't do anything. And they try to make law of it. And uh, I always tell parents, avoid physical. Some parents use it too much. It's just not right. When the child gets a little bit bigger, you can discipline them in a, a little bit However, it doesn't mean that you bash them and it doesn't mean that you use it for every single thing that the child does. It's quite sickening when the child becomes disturbed. A lot of times the children are are unruly because of other reasons. One, they haven't eaten. Two, the television disturbs them. Three, when parents fight. Four, things they learn at school which disturbs them. 
Um, five, you know, their food that they eat, additives, disturbs them sometimes, things like that. So we have to look at what is going on with the child. Always when I sometimes help some parents sit down and they say, oh, he was really out of it, he was just not listening. And we usually discover that it's got, not that the child has been um, uh, rude on purpose or disobedient, but they're just out of it. They might not have slept enough. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. And people just start hitting, hitting, hitting without examining why the child... And a lot of the times, 95% of the time, it's the parent's fault in the first place. Now, there are some times when a child is being really... Not because when they're out of it, when they're hungry or something's wrong with them, you can tell that there's a difference. But when they're being unruly, where they're being um, rude. Now, that could also be because they're not getting enough love or attention. Sometimes I say to one, one, one parent says, oh, you know, I smacked him and this and that, whatever. I said, but why don't you do this? Why don't you go, when he's being like rude, go up and say, oh, come here and pat him a bit and give him a bit of a hug. And they go, and they, they say to me later on, I did that. I go, what happened? He goes, just completely calm down. I said, it's because he wants attention. So there's another reason. But sometimes they are being defiant. Sometimes they're being really rude. Sometimes they're being like a bit... Um, thing. And, uh, and sometimes you've got to have a discernment. There's sometimes a, bit, a, bit, a little bit of a smack. And uh, what's happened is people come to me and say, it's just the child calmed down completely and it's actually quite bright. Unlike what the psychologists say, which they say, oh, it makes them disturbed. I've met a lot of people through confession and just in general that were over-disciplined by their parents, which was no good. But you know what? A lot of them, even those who were hit too much, they don't really have the complaint about being hit too much. They mostly complain about when their parents were cruel to them in the sense of not showing them love, putting them down, negative, not having time for them spending all the time at work and not being there, etc. Those are the things which disturb children. A bit of a smack here and there does not disturb them. So these psychologists, they're just poor things. They're just um, psychologically disturbed, if you get the pun. Um, even at school back in the old days, they used to cane, they used to cane the boys. Some, some teachers overdid it. Some teachers did it properly. And, you know, it's just funny that when, uh, uh, say, the boy was being di physically disciplined for something, and then later on, at the end of the day, they even say, bye, sir, where's the disturbance? So you've got to have a balance and you've got to be very careful. And one day, God willing, we have to do talks about the upbringing of children. But I say 95% of the time, if not more, it's because the parents have done something wrong. Oh, and Elder Porfirio says that a lot of times the parents don't pray for their children. A father said to me once, the children are just very unruly, a couple. They're very, they're, like, they're just out of it. They're about, say, I don't know, three years old, two years old. They go, they're just out of it. They're not listening. They're very disruptive. They're just uncontrollable. 
I said, should we smack him? I go, no, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for young children. And I, and I said, what should we do? I said, do an akathis with your wife to the mother of God. Do an akathis for the nurture of children like it's got at the back there. And I speak to them later on, how'd you go? Go, the children are completely calm. Prayer is also missing. Uh, Saying Elder Porfirio says, hug your children with prayer. Embrace your children with prayer. So there's another reason. Parents don't pray for their children. Then they wonder why their children are all over the place. And these are things I've experienced. I would say, pray for your children. Look at everything. Look at their food. Look at their, you know, when your children are watching television and they're watching inappropriate things, they become disturbed. They're not going to tell you they're disturbed because they don't know that it's disturbed. It's all subconscious. I'm even remembering things now, what I watched when I was young. And uh, as time goes on, things are starting to come out and remembering some things that I saw which disturbed me, which I believe caused anxiety, and it just caused, like a lot of children have anxiety, they become um, OCD, obsessive compulsive, all these things, a lot of this comes from lack of love and uh, anxiety. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So we go on. Parents who do not take care for their children's spiritual needs taking them to church, instruct them to have the fear of God and good Christian morals, forcing children to marry or become monastics is not right for parents to do. You should never force your children either to marry or to become monastics. Now, back to the thing. How about Sunday school? Well, Sunday school is a bit of a problem because in most churches they do Sunday school during the liturgy. That is horrible. They take the children out... The children are not experiencing the grace of God. They're not even there for the consecration where the Holy Spirit comes down and changes the bread and wine into body and blood. They're not even there for that. And they're in the hall colouring in some little pictures and teaching them little Protestant stories, etc. That's not the right thing to do. And anyway, deep down, who it's the responsibility for little children that they be taught by their parents, not by some other people. Who, who are they? How do you know the person who's teaching the child in the hall is even saying the right thing? They might even say things like, uh, um, you know, the most important thing is that we go to church and, and God, like I remember once someone, I actually overheard this, where there was a woman who she, she actually used to do scripture classes and she actually was saying to some people, not in the class, but to a group of people, she was saying, the worst sin that God hates, the most, the most revolting, the worst sin of them all is homosexuality. That's what she was saying. So this is a scripture teacher. So imagine your children learning these type of um, things. So homosexuality is one of the sins. And plus, children at four, five, they're too young. They don't, you know, they can't uh, follow verbal instruction like that in a kind of classroom situation. 
And that's why the children that go to school four and a half, five years old, they have all these learning problems and uh, because they can't follow the lessons. So they've got to do all these special classes and they can't read and write and things like that because it's too early. Children begin to understand more around seven. Anyway, that's another. That has to come later on. Those who, not, who, those who do not honour their spiritual fathers, hierarchs, priests and teachers. Perhaps you swear at your wife or husband. Perhaps you make her sad and strike her and do not love her as your own flesh or you do not take care for her soul and her life. It's the same with the wife, you know, striking. Because, you know, these women's lib thing, it's only the women that get hit. I know many examples of um, men that get hit. Of course, maybe there's more of a percentage because men are stronger and therefore... It's, but, but women don't have to hit. They just say a couple of words which can, can, which can cause their husbands to jump off the gap. But of course, that's not abuse according to today's world and according to the Gospel of Oprah. This commandment... Sorry, you shall not kill. This commandment forbids murder. You shall not kill. This commandment forbids murder, taking the lives of other people, like manslaughter, and suicide. All these is you shall not kill. But it gets a bit, you know, abortionists and those who have an abortion or encourage someone to have an abortion or don't attempt to stop someone who's going to have an abortion. Now, we also include in them doctors who... Uh, encourage their patients to go and have abortions and pharmacists who sell the pills which are like the morning after pills which are automatic abortion. All those things are, go under the, are under the thing of murder, whether you're murdering yourself or others or, or embryos or babies, I mean, as you say. Anyone who does not, have a, who does not save a neighbour from death when he's fully capable of doing it that's also considered as uh, breaking the sixth commandment. Spiritual killing, what's that? Those who kill someone spiritually, like heretics, like false teachers and all those Christians who scandalise others by the evil example of their life. So if someone knows that we are Christians, this is especially for clergy, because the devil hits more people that wear the black, nuns, monks, priests, bishops, deacons, readers, etc. So... The devil hits those people to make them fall so that people can see them fall and can say, look, if they're doing it, they must be okay for us to do it. But also for Christians. Christians have to be careful because if, you, if people know and go, oh, he goes to church, she goes to church, there, they go to church a lot, and then they see you doing something which is inappropriate, then you cause those people to say, oh, it's all hypocrisy, or they go to church, then it must be okay for us to do it. That's called spiritual killing. We're killing someone's soul. Remember what Christ said, better when you scandalise someone, better if, uh, if you tie a rope and a millstone and throw yourself in the ocean. Those who are infected with a disease and infect others knowingly, like you know, you know you've got AIDS and then you go and infect someone, also included are those who wish evil for his neighbour or rejoices in his neighbour's tragedy. Remember what we said before, earlier on? If you hate your, your neighbour, then you are a murderer. So that's why this hate and revenge goes into this commandment. You shall not kill. So when we hate someone, when we wish them evil, then we are transgressing this commandment. Perhaps you have animosity 
towards someone and have a grudge and desire to take revenge. Or perhaps you have not sought forgiveness from your enemy. Or perhaps your enemy sought forgiveness and you did not forgive him. So we don't ask forgiveness or we don't accept forgiveness from someone if they've done something to us. All these are the same things. But why? Because Christ says if you don't forgive the sins of your uh, neighbour, neither will I forgive you your sins. So if we do not receive God's forgiveness because we don't forgive, then aren't we killing ourselves? We are killing ourselves spiritually. We are murdering ourselves spiritually. We cut ourselves off from God because Christ said that um, clearly. Um, perhaps you defame someone and turned him into the judges so that he may be punished and harmed when you're lying about someone and then you say so they can get in trouble. That happened a lot during the war as well and um, um, people didn't like someone. So say the Germans were occupying the country. They said, oh, he's... Uh, He's uh, planning something so the Germans would kill them. And, and, but even today, people dob in people, as we say, and uh, make to, so they can be punished. How many people have been accused wrong? America, uh, thousands and thousands of people have been um, wrongly uh, imprisoned. And people have gone through the death penalty. They've actually died, only to find out later on that they weren't even guilty. So, you know, people set people up. Perhaps you get mad at the poor and, and swear at them and chase them away with foul words. You know, we, when poor people come to us and we get irritated, we don't want them, we get upset. Um, perhaps you damned others and blasphemed and delivered them to the devil, where people say, oh, go to hell, or go to the devil, as the Greeks say a lot. I don't know about the other nationalities here, but it's a common thing, you know, that type of thing. A lot of parents have actually... Uh, curse their children like this then they wonder why their children don't go well in life they, always, they say go to the devil, go to the devil, go to the devil Elder Paisio says that those things can actually take effect people have been possessed have become possessed through those type of things number seven, you shall not commit adultery people think adultery just means when someone who's married has sexual relations with a married person, but that does, that's not all what it means. Anyways, the spiritual father says, perhaps you've committed adultery. Perhaps you have fornicated. So fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, it's the same thing This is in this, in this commandment as well. Perhaps you abused yourself, which is masturbation. Perhaps you committed unnatural acts. Now, unnatural acts can be a, a host of them. I don't want to go into the detail now, but... Where I said before what that silly woman said, which she said that homosexuality is the worst sin. Well, as I've said before, in the canons, as you'll notice in that book, if, if, if you get it, there are, there are unnatural acts committed by husband and wife, which is, which is which, you know, um, if one is three years not to commune, let's just say if you use the strict ways, three years not to commune, those unnatural acts that are committed with, um, by married people, orthodox married people, are eight, nine years, triple. Perhaps you dress yourself uh, um, and wear makeup, put on perfumes and colognes, which are causes for fornication. This is men and women, but women mostly do that. So St. John Christum says, in his opinion, women that wear makeup and that, they do it to attract the attention of men. Uh, and all this causes people to fall, etc. 
Perhaps you gaze at the faces of women and youth intently and with lust in your heart. For whoever gazes in this fashion commits fornication and adultery with the heart. As Christ said, remember what Christ said? If you look at a woman, etc., which is coming up soon, uh, then you have, you have committed adultery in your heart. Um, of course, included in this group as well is pornography, pedophilia, this sexting thing where people send dirty things through the SMSs and all this type of stuff. All these things are all belong to this group. Perhaps you are prideful and gluttonous, given to food and drink, for these give rise to fornication and adultery and to other carnal passions. Drinking and overeating, etc., bring on the passion, the sexual passion, and that's why it's in this group. Gluttony, even I was in the other group as well, but in this, that was a different thing where you got on your mind. Here, you're actually doing it, overly eating and drinking alcohol, and um, this promotes sexual passions. Number eight, you shall not steal. This is very interesting. There are many forms of stealing, the father said. There's theft, uh, robbery, when someone goes and robs by force, extortion, bribery, etc. Perhaps you stole something or acquired stolen goods. So it's not, you, you know, you can't just believe that everything's fallen off the back of a truck. And most of the time, obviously, they're stolen. If you take it, then you are a thief. If I take it, then I'm a thief. Perhaps you receive thieves into your home and are friends with them. Interesting, isn't it? Perhaps you receive thieves into your home and are friends with them. Perhaps you stole or steal from your work. Take a pen, take a stapler, do some photocopying for free, send some faxes off. Uh, perhaps, you with, perhaps you withheld pay from those who work for you and you did not thank them. Uh, you promised to give someone a certain amount of money, but you didn't pay them, and um, you say, oh, you know, that's, that's wrong. Also, not being thankful to those who work for us if we are in, the, um, in that position of hiring people. Perhaps you found something and did not attempt to find the owner. And you've got to be careful these days because they do these um, candid cameras. You know what I mean by that? So they drop $20 on the ground and you've got current affairs um, filming um, to see how many people are honest. So they're actually filming it from far away and, they, and, they, and you pick up the money and then you put it in your pocket. Then later on they put you on the television and say you weren't honest. They do that for mobile phones too. Mobile phones, etc., etc. But anyway, we don't, the, the point is we don't just not pick up the money and find that because we're scared to be put on television. But we do it because it's, we try and find the owner of stolen money or when someone makes a mistake in the shop. Most people that leave school today, they can't even add, so we know that. So um, you go to the shop, uh, you give them $50, and it costs $40, and you get back $40. Because that's, the, that's what the schools produce, and hence the early education is really useful. So... You get $40, what do you do? Do you just take it or do you say, oh, it's Woolworths, what, you know, it doesn't matter? They're rich. No, you give it back. Perhaps you opened letters and read them. It's even here. Do not steal, especially you shall not steal, but even that is in this category. 
you know, people's privacy. Perhaps you overcharge for your handicraft and labour. These are the, the tradesmen that do a job. You get a quote. Okay, you get a plumber. You want to do. You want to get the plumber to do something. You get a quote. One quotes five hundred dollars. Another quote seven, and the other one's a thousand. So what's going on? Is the five hundred undercutting? Is the seven hundred more correct? Is the thousand correct? And you know, it's very hard to um, to know these days. But it's a sin for trade p- tradesmen uh, to overcharge or not do proper work or use inferior material. Years ago, I did a renovation. So I got this person, which was from the church, by the way. I go, oh, he's from the church. Um, and he did a renovation for the bathroom. And years later, the whole thing was um, full of mold because didn't um, waterproof it. So he gave a quote. And he didn't waterproof. But meanwhile, you know, I have to now suffer with mould. So when I think of him, I go, I just can't believe what he did. Now you might say, as a Christian, you should forgive. Yes, but it's a bit hard when you've got mould spores in your nose. Say someone does a bad job for a widow or someone who's poor. Elder Paisius actually says that when you do those type of things... And that person lets out from their heart uh, a sigh to God and says, like, what did this man do to me? Look, he, he, you know, I've got children and he robbed me and he didn't do the job properly and all this type of stuff. But that sigh can come out and that person can be punished and his family. We should read about that in the books there. Even though some people, the, the new theologians... Not like Simeon, the new theologian, the true theologian, but the new theologians of today, they say, oh, the evil eye and all this is wrong. And they're trying to make the Orthodox Church into something which is just all understandable in the mind. The Orthodox Church is the power of God. And these things are true. Because even Christ says, from the heart comes fornication, this and this, and the evil eye. But that woman might not be, say, the widow who's actually got upset that the person ripped her off, she might not be cursing the person, but she might just be complaining to say, oh God, what what did, what did, happened here? And those things can actually sometimes happen. So people, and I notice tradesmen or those people who rob, whatever, they never go well. Just chase their tails. Perhaps you collect interest when you lend money to someone. I, I think this means that Christians should not charge interest when they lend money to people. Of course, if you are redrawing from your loan where you're paying an interest, and obviously then, you know, if you're paying 6% interest on your loan, then you might say to the person, you can just pay whatever the money is from the loan. But if people have got money, spare money, and there's someone needs help, you don't say, okay, I'll give you the $1,000 at 10%. You know, things like that, and that's a sin. Perhaps you cheated by using false scales and measures and by telling lies and through fraud and false oaths. The false scales are people, like in the old days, they used to use the old-fashioned scales where they had, um, they said, okay, this is a five-kilo weight. So they put it there and you say, okay, I want five kilos of sugar. So they put the weight there and they put the sugar and make the balance to go through, but that's not five kilos, only four. 
It says five, but it's four. So that's false weights. Or the other one, like a delicatessen near us, which my mother couldn't cope with, is he'll put the ham on the scale and he would put his finger on the scale and make it... Um, to charge more, to make it heavier than what it was. So instead of 500 grams ham, you end up paying for 750 grams, things like that. All these things are horrible. People ripping off people and things like that. So all these things are part of you should not steal. And number nine, you should not bear false witness against your neighbour. This commandment forbids us to speak falsehoods about our neighbour and in general forbids all lies. For example, perjuring court, false complaints, gossip, slander and defamation, also included are the following. Those who have doubts and suspicions against their neighbour. You know, people that we know how we have thoughts sometimes and go, oh, I bet that they're doing this or I bet that person's that or that person's thinking that. You know, this suspicion where if you don't curb it, it can actually lead to a mental breakdown where people become so paranoid. Um... This is a, a sin, we, uh, always thinking suspicious things about people. Those who make fun of the physical defects of the mind, when someone's, say, not very intelligent, and we make fun and say, oh, they're dumb or something, or the voice, or their voice, they've got a funny voice, we make fun of it, or their face, or other parts of the body. All these things are a sin according to this commandment. Perhaps you are fake, and a hypocrite appearing one way outwardly, so people may praise you, but you're a different person inwardly. What's the difference between this one and number two? Number two, I think, is to do more with piety, where we act religious. I think in this case here, it's just a person who might be acting concerned, but they're not, or a person uh, who tries to act honest, not spiritual, just ordinary things, like trying to pretend that they're honest, but they're not, and, Okay, there's hypocrites, spiritual and hypocrites in everyday life. Perhaps you judge and speak against this and that person. Judgment is different to um, what's that Saint Elder Leonard, I read it the other day, which is actually interesting. Judgment and criticism, two different things. Criticism is when you criticise someone and say, oh, what they're doing, I think that's not right, or I don't agree with that, and I wouldn't bring up my children like that. That's criticism. It's still a sin, but that's not a Judging is where we take the place of God, and that's why the fathers call those who judge antichrist, because it's like they're standing in the position of God, meaning, oh, that person deserves to go to hell, that person deserves to be punished, oh, Look, they had an accident, it's because God punished them. All these things is what's called judgment. That person's horrible, there's nothing good in them. These type of things is what's called judgment, which is different to criticism. Sometimes we're criticising, but not necessarily that it's judgment. Judgment is far more serious, according to Elder Leonard of Optina. Perhaps you listen with pleasure when others are judging or speaking against someone. Don't we all fall into that? Where we, someone's saying, oh, you know that person, this and that, and we, we, we enjoy it in our heart because we don't like that person. Perhaps you flatter this and that person, you praise them falsely and not in truth, which is demonic, where we say to someone, oh, you're good, uh, you know, you're, I like that, what you do. And, but the, today's thing is a lot is... Um, 
like the worldly people, is um, uh, when one woman meets another woman, it's, you really look pretty today. Thank you, so do you. It's like a part of the society now. You look beautiful. You look stunning. Those things are not right. Those Oscars, what do you call them? Those Emmy Awards, those, what do you call those other things? The, uh, the Grammy, oh, no, not the Grammys, the other one, the, the big one, the Academy Awards, all that type of stuff. And it's always the same thing, this focus on how, and they, oh, you look, you look stunning. And these women actually don't even have any embarrassment to go, oh, thank you. Even though they've got makeup this thick on. And actually, it's like a mask, and that's why a lot of times when you see these people when they're not wearing makeup, ooh, it's worse than going on the ghost train at Luna Park. <laughs> Number 10, you shall not covet, that means possess, desire, sorry, your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now, this is interesting. I didn't even know this myself. The preceding five commandments. Remember that the six are to do with our neighbour. We just did the first four, which was to do with God. We've done five, now we come to the sixth. Here it's saying the other five, not this one, but the other five, is, which teaches duties towards one's neighbour, forbid man from only exterior words and acts of sin, like actual sin. Do not hit someone or do not steal. But this one is different. This present commandment, the present commandment, also further forbids him from that interior evil of lust of the soul. That is, forbids him from desiring any sin with his heart. The other ones, it just says straight out, you shall not kill. You don't, you know, you shall not bear false witness. You, things like that. You shall not commit adultery. Here, it's saying you must not desire the possession or the wife or etc of someone else all uh, so it says here all those then who transgress this commandment even though they do not physically take another's possession nevertheless desire to possess it with their soul and heart whatever it may be a wife or an animal possession or any other thing perhaps you desire or love glory and recognition now now we go to the what the spiritual father asks a person about this commandment Perhaps you desire or love glory and recognitions or the pleasures of this world or money and temporal things. As St. John Christum says, it's not enough to be poor because obviously the poor, a person can be poor but wishes that they were rich so they don't get a reward. A person can be, have no talent, let's just say, but they wish that they were great or famous or important. So these are the desires. So I'm going to read for you quickly a part where Christ speaks about this, which is, um, this is the inner life. The Old Testament, a lot of it is to do with just, as it says, exterior things. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, except for that tenth one. But God gave the Jews even a little bit of a taste of the inner life which in the New Testament comes out fully, the inner life. Look what it says. Christ says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. 
That's what the Jews knew. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So this is where we're going into. That's why I've read these commandments. What I'm reading, all those things that the priest is asking, the person that comes to confession, is what is more the Christian teachings on these commandments, the deeper meaning. So, yes, you shall not kill, Christ says, but here he's saying, but even more than that, you shouldn't even get angry without cause. Because um, people say, oh, but you should never get angry. Christians are supposed to be meek. Like this, meek. But I always say meek, but not weak. But that's how to, that is today. We have the Christianity. We've got all these people that come to church, the ones that are really into it, and they're like this. They're all feeble and, and all like, and, they, and they're trying to make out that they're, that they're, when they see something, they don't say anything. They go, oh, look at the virtue of that person. He doesn't get angry. Remember I said to you what a theologian said, that um, in the village in Greece, someone died, he never got angry. So on his gravestone they go, this, he lies the man who never got angry. And the theologian says, yes, but it should be written because he was anesthetos, which in, that's in Greek, which comes to the words anesthesia. You know, anesthesia when you go under, when you have an operation, where you become like you're just lying there and you're not aware of anything. In other words, you're just... Anesthetos in, in English means uh, he is insensitive. He is without any feeling at all. Well, selfish because he just wants to make out what? That he's meek or doesn't want to speak up because there might be repercussions. Look at the saints, the martyrs, the ones that lived in communism. How much guts they had, one can say, to be able to... Uh, with you know to stand up to the truth, and even today, Christians are persecuted. Even today, even here in Sydney, wherever in America, persecuted how their families, their work. There's a lot of things that Christians go through, and it takes a person who is strong, like Saint George, who was a general. You don't see icons of Saint George hunched over like and, and being very weak, or the kings, Christian kings, or hierarchs. Humble, meek, but not weak. So, for example, I forgot who it was. I think it was uh, St. Ambrose the, the, um, from the West, uh, one of our saints. I think it was St. Ambrose or St. Basil. One, anyway, I think both of them maybe. Uh, the emperor came to their church, and he had just committed some murders. And the bishop came there and said, no, you're not coming in. He goes, do you know who I am? He goes, I'm the emperor. And he goes, but you can't come in because you just committed a sin. And they said, and, and the, um, the emperor said, I've never, because you know, a lot of the bishops were actually weak. He goes, I've never seen a bishop like you. And then the, the, the saint said, perhaps you've never really met a bishop. A true bishop, right? Why does the bishop hold that rod? The bishop holds the rod because he's a shepherd. Now, maybe you don't understand because we're not 
from villages, maybe some of you are, when a shepherd, why does he have the, the rod? So when the wolves come, he hits them over the head so they don't go and take the sheep. So that's the bishop. It's symbolic. He holds the rod there, the staff, so that he can hit over the head those who are coming to the church, heretics, etc. To teach the truth and to be fearless to protect his sheep and the same for the priest. And therefore this, this image, I'll tell you one story and I'll go on. There was this person, he was like that, meek, like, he was always like that and people used to say, oh he's so spiritual, he's so great, he's an angel, he's this, he's that, continually. This person, the reason why he was like that he was using the Christian meekness as a way to get attention and for people to say that he was good. But he wasn't. This, this was actually a priest as well, by the way. And any time that there was something that was wrong, he would never speak up, hiding behind the fact that he was meek. But that's not what a priest is. The purpose of a priest is not to organise barbecues and the purpose of the priest is not to organise uh, toffee days or Santa Claus on Christmas. The purpose of the priest is to teach the flock. And today, especially to teach the flock, you could be um, attacked. People have become quite wild today, so it's actually it, it, a priest, yes, he's meek, wants to do with personal things. But, but, as the fathers of the church say, but when it's to do, the hierarchs say, but when it's to do with matters of faith, when it's to do with morals, when it's to do with protecting the flock or teaching the flock or correcting the flock, whatever, then they are lions. So don't get confused. That's why it says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, not never angry, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, whatever, shall be in danger of the council. I don't know what that Raka means. I think it means fool, idiot, is it? Thank you. So whoever says to his brother, it should be in, council, uh, in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. See, the deepness of the Christian faith is no longer you shall not kill, like obvious things. This is deeper, deeper, the inner life. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That was part of the tenth, the tenth commandment. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist any evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also for personal reasons. If anyone wants to sue you and take your away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. If you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy, that was how it was in the old days, because nowhere does it say, love your enemy in the Ten Commandments. Uh, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Mark, are you listening? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, 
gives rain, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, if you only love those who love you, what's the good of that? What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Look, the unbelievers, don't they do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is what I'm trying to say before about these people with the save the whales and this and that, whatever. Those people have no idea about loving their enemy. They can only go to a certain level, give money to the poor, whatever. But this is where it's the commandments of Christ, not just the commandments of the world, give to the Red Cross, do a few little things, these, these things. The commandments of Christ are deeper than that. And that's where those people fail. They're not doing all the commandments. They're doing some part of it and getting glory for it. But for us, for Orthodox Christians, it goes deeper. So, I just read, basically, I mean, I tried my best, with the Ten, the ten Commandments, and at least a, a lot of you will get out of it that it's uh, more than what it reads, according to the Christian teaching. Now, we need, as I said earlier, to study, to know what the commandments are. We've read the Ten Commandments, but there's more teachings, obviously, in the New Testament, where a lot of those things were based. But uh, anyway, Father John Christiankin, in his letters to lay people, would give the following advice. He says... Read a chapter of the Gospels and two chapters from the Epistles every day, as well as a short little morning and evening prayer rule. So he used to advise those people in Russia at the time. Uh, he says that you, you know, he had an emphasis on the Gospel and the Epistles. Now I always say to someone, look, you know, if you that's the ultimate, that that would be the best to aim at to read one chapter of the Gospel in order when you finish the Gospels, go back again like that, and two chapters of the Epistles and you go in order and come back again, etc. That would be um, the best. But some people may not be at that level. That's okay. I would say, okay, start off with the gospel only. Read a little bit every day, but make sure it's part of it. If you do it for a year, it doesn't matter. As long as you're str struggling all the time to read that little piece every day. Some people want to do a lot, and they do it and they fizzle out. Don't worry, just do a little bit. And he says, and do a little prayer rule. Morning and evening prayer rule, short one, or, as I said before, that we have in our book here. I don't know if you all have this. If you haven't, we put it together. The prayer rule of Saint Seraphim. And it says, Our Father three times, a Orthodox and Virgin rejoice three times, and I believe in one God. He says if, if you could do that and do a little bit of the Jesus prayer during the day, and then in the night you can do the same. At least that's for those people who are not as literate, or those who are really busy, or those who are lazy, whatever. At least keep to that rule. Now, it's better to do a little bit, as the Father say, and consistent rather than do a lot, and then at the end you give up because it's just too much. So we have to learn the law of God, the commandments, through how? Well, we read the scriptures. 
We read the lives of the saints because the lives of the saints are the gospel in practice. We read the writings of the saints. We read the prologue, which is basically lives of saints and writings of the saints. Excellent, if we, even just the prologue. And as we progress more, as time goes on, the explanation of the Holy Gospels by, Elder, by Blessed Theophilact. Um, all these things help us to learn the law of God, to learn, in other words, the commandments of Christ. As you saw, see, I, thou shalt not kill. People say, oh, that, I don't, you have you heard people say, I don't do bad, I, don't, I haven't killed anyone. But the commandment doesn't say just kill, it also says, do you hate, do you forgive? See? Now, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, lines 1 to 11, uh, is, an, is a wonderful part of the Gospels where Christ teaches us commandments, his commandments. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the explanation there is saying humility is the foundation of spiritual life. That's why in Lent, the pre-Lenten period, we have the publican and the Pharisee first. If you remember, then the prodigal son teaching us that spiritual life has to have its basis, as we said, humility. The poor in spirit are those whose pride is crushed, who are contrite in soul and are totally dependent on God. Just a little brief thing there. So we already, I've gone through this so many times in a lot of the talks, the, the importance of humility. Number two, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Mourn. Mourn for their sins, not for the, not for the things of this life. Some people say um, that they... Um, mourn because they've gained weight or some people say that they mourn that, that they mourn because of other worldly reasons that's not what Christ means by mourn he says mourn for their sins not for the things of this life mourn for the sins of others as well so we not only mourn we don't have to just cry and pray and pain for our own sins but also for the sins of others but not only that we also mourn for the suffering of others, for the, sof the sorrow over the sufferings of this life and the state of the world, which I was saying earlier on about how the more we come closer to God, the more we pray for the world. They shall be comforted both in this life, for he who mourns for his sins rejoices spiritually and even more so in the next life. So Elder Porfirios, a monastic, a, a holy person, once someone gave him a television, I've said this in the previous talks, and um, he didn't really encounter those um, in televisions up to that time. Anyway, he decided to look at it a bit, and he was watching, he would look at the news. And then people started getting a bit scandalised and said, what's a monk doing watching television? Anyway, he said that I look at the news and find out about all the catastrophes, what's going on in the world, and I pray for them. So when he would hear about a flood, he would pray for them. When he would hear about people, you know, wars, etc., that he would pray for them. Anyway, later on he got rid of it because people were becoming scandalised and thought that something that, that's not right. But nevertheless, it's a good, it's a good thing there that um, the saints liked to hear news because that then they knew what to pray for. 
such love, as much love they had. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are not those who never get angry, as I mentioned before. For such people are unfeeling and apathetic. See? Unfeeling. That's, a, that's the word. Anesthetos. Unfeeling and apathetic. They don't care. Rather, the meek are those who possess the capacity for anger, but control it, and become angry only when it's necessary. See how we're confused about what meekness is? So meekness is not this business, weakness there, where we don't, and you go, oh, look, he doesn't even speak. doesn't even speak. If you saw someone about to rape someone or do something bad to a child, he'll just be sitting there because he's meek, because he's gutless. The same with the priest. They go, oh, that priest is so meek. Everyone does whatever they want in the church. There's talking and laughing. There's no order. And he doesn't speak. What a wonderful prison. He's so meek. Not meek, but weak. The priest, as it says in the confessional, actually it's very interesting that in some of the ones where, that, where the priest asks questions, if it's another priest coming for confession... The priest asks him, do you take care of your flock? Do you correct your flock? Do you teach your flock? Then what he's going to answer, no, Father, I don't teach my I don't say much because I'm meek. I'm meek. People get offended with Muslims. They say, oh, you know, he doesn't like when he hears noises during the service or when there's children crying. He doesn't let people come with their children to the, to the hall. That means he's got no love. So can you imagine now doing the talk and having everyone... Uh, uh, someone went to a talk once, I won't say where. Some people had some little children, three, four years old, and they allowed the children to be running up and down the, the aisle during the talk. And the priest said nothing. So, yes, we become angry only when it is necessary. And that's why Christ, when he saw the sacrilege, what was going on in the temple, when they were selling pigeons and things like that, it was like a business in there. He went in there with the whip, knocked the tables over and things like that. That's anger, but without passion. Passion meaning where it comes out of evil. If someone gets angry... Because they've seen something bad. If the, it depends what the anger is coming from. Is the anger coming for God's righteousness, for the right thing? Or is the anger coming because that person's personally offended? Two different things. As I say, God's, they say that Elder Porphyrius explains God's anger. He says when God lets out some type of know, punishment, something like that, he says that it's passionless. When a, when a person smacks their child, it's supposed to be done passionless. I'm doing this to correct the child. I don't want my child to grow up and be a demon. I want my child to grow up and be proper. So the child might cry, but the parent's not smacking it or correcting it or putting it in its room or whatever out of passion because the person's irritated or because the person's angry 
but the person's correcting because he does it for the good of the person. So there's two different things. If you're correcting someone in anger, where you're becoming disturbed, that's different to when the saints would correct or to when we're, how we're supposed to correct, when we're correcting with, without passion, without hate, without some other motivation, but for the correction of the person or whatever, we, whatever it is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, a great desire for what is right before God. They try to serve God by a righteous life according to the command. So when we say thirst after righteousness, means a person thirsts and hungers to do God's commandments. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The merciful are those who have compassion on others, who with all their hearts pity those who have fallen into misfortune or unhappiness and who try to help them with good works and should you have nothing to, to all, at all to give. Say, for example, someone's got problems and you can't do anything. Maybe you haven't got money, whatever. He says, well, you can't get to that person. Show mercy with tears of compassion, praying, etc. Now, this merciful has got two groups. It's what's called the bodily works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy. The bodily works of mercy are seven. Feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit those in prison, visit the sick and helping them recover or preparing them for a Christian death. Six, inviting strangers and foreigners and travellers into one's home and give them rest. That one they're a little bit negative to now because a lot of people are on uh, medications, sometimes they're um, mentally ill and society has really become corrupt. Uh, you know, you don't just let anyone into your house, especially when you've got children because you don't know who they are. Uh, I, um, just that one, that's my opinion. Uh, people are very ill and very corrupt. Someone can be going to church, but deep down they've got other problems. I've met a lot of people who appear pious, but they're mentally disturbed and dangerous. So you've got to be very, very careful, like that poor priest in um, uh, Santa Cruz in America, a Greek priest, who was helping a couple. They weren't even Orthodox, but he helped them. He was helping them and he gave them um, a job in the office and things like that out of his, you know, felt sorry for them and helped them. And at the end, they killed him. Spiritual works of mercy. Give food and drink to him who hungers and thirsts for teaching. Because the hungry and thirsty, not only those who need food and drink, physical, but those who hunger and thirst for the hope of the gospel. So let's go through them. Seven. Number one, spiritual works of mercy is by word and example to convert the sinner from the error of his way. Number two, teaching the ignorant truth and goodness. Three, dispensing good and timely advice to neighbours who are in distress or danger. Four, comforting the grieving. That's a, that's a work of mercy. Someone's lost someone or someone's, you know, going to be thrown out of their house. There's also a, a comforting. That's a work of mercy. So here, look, look at this. Teaching the ignorant truth and goodness. All those ones here above. Trying to convert someone who's away from the church or dispensing good and timely advice to neighbours who are in distress or danger. Number five, 
I just reread the other ones. Refraining from returning evil for evil. That's a spiritual works of mercy too. When someone does something bad to us, we don't want to return evil. We forgive them. Forgiven offences, number six, forgiven offences with all one's heart. Seven, praying to God for everyone. These are the two groups, bodily works of mercy and spiritual. Because, you know, when we hear that, I was thirsty and you gave me no water and I was hungry and you didn't give me food, I was in prison, you didn't visit me. People think that just means that, but it doesn't just mean that. Yes, it does mean feed the hungry, help the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the, in those in prison, visit the sick and etc. and those things. But it also says here, there's spiritual works of mercy, those things that I just read. That's all to do with blessed are the merciful. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are many who are, in, who are not greedy. Uh, this one was the one I was trying to say before. When I read this, I said that's, that's the answer that I wanted to, because I was, wanted to explain this, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. But anyway, there are many who are not greedy, but are generous in almsgiving, yet they fornicate and commit other uncleanliness. That's what I was saying earlier on. You can see a person that says very generous. He gives to the poor, but they do other dirty things. Christ commands, therefore, that along with the other virtues, the balance, we should also be pure, that is, chaste and self-control, not only in the body, but in the heart as well. Without holiness, namely chastity, no one will see the Lord. So pure in heart, it's not enough, as I said, just to do a few little good deeds. But God wants us to be pure in heart, and pure in heart means to, to protect ourselves from all sin. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers, not only those who are themselves peaceable with all, but also those who reconcile others who are at odds. So if you know two people are fighting and you want to reconcile them, you become a peacemaker. Um, the peacemakers are also those who by their teaching convert the enemies of God. And number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a nice one. Theophilus says, thieves and murderers are also persecuted, but they are not blessed. A lot of people can be persecuted, but not for righteousness' sake, not because they're following Christ's commandments. It is not only the martyrs who are persecuted, many others are persecuted as well those who live righteously according to the commandments of God, for their righteousness and pious life, their refusal to compromise with the ways of the world. Like a person who brings up his children a Christian way, you've got others that say, oh, what, what's he doing? What's he teaching his children? Why are they doing that? Uh, why does that person go to church? Why does that woman have children? Why didn't she have an abortion? Why didn't she live it up? Why did she get married so early? It just goes on and on and on and on. There are so many things that people go through. The biggest enemies to women to have children, to you know, or to even get married early, uh, and to bring up children and have many children. The biggest enemies are the women themselves. They detest it. They really hate it. On the current affairs, the other couple of weeks ago, did you hear about that um, couple? Uh, I think I think they were religious, even though they didn't say it. Sixteen children, I think it was. Was it 16, something like that? 16 children. 
And as I was watching that, and then she said at the, the husband and wife said at the end, and we still haven't finished. Oh, at that time I imagined a lot of the women would have doubled over in convulsions. See, women's, women's lib, they believe that they've got all these rights now and all these good things, but yet women are the most, have become very unhappy. That's why a lot of them, they said, I want to live it up, I should not be tied down, this and that, and yet they're all, a lot of them now, all surfing on the internet, looking for people on the internet. Women's Lib had some good points, but a lot of it backfired. And I'll just give one more example. When a woman lives in fear every day that she might get a wrinkle or some type of pimple, or I don't know, some spot on her face, when a woman has to subject herself to scores of operations, you know, that anaesthesia is very, very dangerous. And when you go under that, you know, it really knocks you out, knocks your system out, kills a few brain cells too. Very, very, it's not good. And yet they, they subject it because that's, that's where the women's lib have got them, that they're so scared of their bodies and their faces and their hair and not to look old, etc. Now, if that's happiness, can you explain it to me where the happiness is? Can anyone explain it to me at all? Where's the happiness? And they don't want to take care of children. They don't, which, it's better that they don't anyway because if they're not interested, it's better that they don't have children. Someone says to me, I don't like children. Don't have children. Don't even get married. I'm talking about now Orthodox Christians. I mean, to these everyday things that they're saying now today, women are tired, women are becoming slaves. For an Orthodox Christian, a one who wants to be pleasing to God, as St. Paul says, bring up children in a Christian world. What's higher than that? What's greater than bringing up children and bring them up in a Christian way and offering them to God but they run for careers and things like that and neglect a lot of times their children. So how then is that great? And the preschools, take them to preschools, dump them at preschools a lot of times. Some women, they're on their own, you know, it's, it's difficult. But the majority don't have to do that. Why do you have to go and get loans, husband and wife, before you have children, where it's a loan where it's based on the two salaries? But later on, how can that woman stop work if she wants to take care of her children? She can't. So she's forced. And people buy in mansions and things which are beyond. Our parents, when they first came here, lived in two-bedroom places or like a unit or something like that. What's wrong with that? You've got a unit or something cheap and you've got a, like a church there, like a blessed, a blessed existence there with your family, your children. You don't need mansions. You don't need swimming pools so the children can drown in them. You don't need other things like that. Cars, two cars. Simplicity, credit cards, now all these topics. People have created a whole mess of things. And a lot of poor people lost their houses 
because of this financial crisis, because they all overspent. I always tell people, just get something based on one wage, just in case. A woman says, oh, but I don't want to, I'll, I'll always go back to work. But when you have children, sometimes you just don't, what happens if one person gets sick? People set themselves up for, um, for um, failure. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the explanation says to be reviled means to be hated, persecuted and mocked, deprived of one's freedom, if it even gets to that stage, and even to be killed. As we know, Christians have been... You know, have gone through that. It is not simply he that is reviled that is blessed, blessed, but when he is or she is reviled for Christ's sake and falsely. So when the jibrocker, uh, an Orthodox Christian jibrocker, goes and does a house and doesn't use the correct glue on the screen, and then all of a sudden the ceiling falls then and the people hate him that's not for christ's sake where we say he for christ's sake and false it means that because you are doing the commandments of christ people don't like you if these two conditions are lacking he is a wretch as he has been a cause of temptation to many if so if if it's not for christ's sake and falsely then you can't say that you're being um, rejoicing, being exceedingly glad. Because you want to have children. You're bringing up children in, a, in an orthodox manner, in a Christian manner. And people don't like you. Well, that's a different thing. Or because you're honest. Or because a woman wants to go to work and doesn't want to wear makeup. And the person says, if you don't wear makeup, then you're going to lose your job then she has to make a decision of what she's going to do. Is she going to look like Ronald McDonald's wife or is she going to um, not wear it? And whatever happens, happens. There are many things which haven't got time now. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Of the others, in the other Beatitudes, whom he, whom he said are blessed... He does not speak of a great reward. Christ only he says, great is your reward in heaven for this one. When blessed are you, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be, and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. He didn't say that for the others. He didn't say for great is your reward. Now, he does not speak of a great reward in the other ones, in the other Beatitudes, but here he does to show that to patiently endure reviling is a great and most difficult thing, so difficult that there have been many who have, who have hanged themselves to escape this trial. And true it is that persecution is very difficult. People say, oh, they're going to hate me. It's because I believe in Christ. It's easy. But... If it's so easy, then why did Christ emphasise greater is your reward in heaven? Because it's not easy. Even Job 
from the Old Testament, who patiently endured his other trials, was troubled when his friends reviled him by saying that he was suffering for his sins. So we know that, uh, of those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, the devil got permission from God to destroy his animals and his house and kill his children and then make him sick as well. We had all these boils on him and things like that. And he took all that. He actually took it. And his wife kept on saying, curse God, you know, go, go against him. Can't you see what you're going through? He goes, no, the Lord gives and the Lord, you know, things like that. But when his neighbours started to say that he's suffering because God has rejected him, he's suffering because God is punishing him, that knocked him out. That started to cause him some problems. He was troubled. And why does Christ say, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you? He adds that at the end of that beatitude. So that the apostles would not think that they would be persecuted for teaching something contrary to God. Because when the prophets taught the Jews and were correcting them, etc., all of them were killed. All of them were persecuted. All of them were hated. And Christ is saying to his apostles, don't become troubled. Don't get knocked around. Don't become hopeless when everyone goes against you. Because remember, keep in your mind the example of the prophets in the Old Testament that went through the same thing. Because even a priest, when he preaches or a bishop, etc., when they are teaching the people the commandments of Christ, a lot of times uh, people go against them. Even the lay people can go against them and say, oh, what are they talking about? St. John, Archbishop John of Shanghai and San Francisco, the things that he was teaching in um, San Francisco at the time, a lot of the Russians didn't like him. He said they shouldn't go to these balls that they were doing and dances and they should be leading spiritual lives and he, he was against a lot of these things and they hated him. And, you know, if you read his life, you'll see what he went through. They took him to court and said that he was stealing money. Like the last days of his life, the man was in and out of court and suffered a lot because he was teaching the people the truth. And that's why it's very difficult, some priests, when they are preaching and trying to say the truth, and then you've got even fellow priests, even other priests, people or priests, that say, oh, what's he saying? He's fanatical or he's this and that. And it, make, it starts to knock the person around. And then Christ said, well, don't be knocked around when you, uh, and even for lay people when you're doing the right thing when you're trying to do Christ's commandments because if you live those who want to live in Christ Jesus will be persecuted as St Paul says in, in his epistles if you're going to live a life according to the gospels you will be persecuted you will be hated um, you will be excluded even from fellow Christians St Nectarius the Greek saint was a bishop, a metropolitan in the Church of Alexandria. And some people were jealous because of his virtue. He was a saintly man. And he taught the people the law of God. He taught the people the commandments of Christ. And his fellow clergy 
became jealous because he, they saw how everyone respected him and loved him. And they also were interested in becoming, you know, maybe for them to become patriarch when the other patriarch dies, the patriarch of Alexandria. So they spread lies and said to the patriarch, you know what, Nectarius is after your throne. He's planning to take over your throne. He's going to get the people to elect him and get rid of you. The patriarch believed it and gave him a letter and said, you are dismissed from the patriarch of Alexandria. Go. And that was it. He left. He went to Greece. Couldn't even get a job anywhere. He was a bishop. Couldn't get a job. And they gave him a job in Evia, which is where mother's from, the island. And he did some preaching there. And the slanders had even reached um, there. And as he was preaching, the people, because they said that he was doing th dirty things, things, things like that. Um, that's, what, that's the lies that they also spread in Alexandria. So when he went to Greece and was, had a, he, he got a job as a preacher, that's all. He was a bishop, but he hadn't got a job as a preacher. And he took the job because he wanted to preach. And he went to a church, and then as he was preaching, the people started shouting out and goes, we know all about you, and you're a, you're a dirty old person, and this and that. And they actually were abusing him in the church. And later on, he got a job at the ecclesiastical school there in Athens, taking care of people that were going to become priests. And the, those who were in charge of that school, even they were against him, and said, what are you teaching the young people these old-fashioned things about Christian things? It's all too much. And they went against him as well. He, and from that school, a lot of holy people were produced. But he went through a lot. He was persecuted, slandered, right to the end of his days. And yet, when he died in the hospital at Athens, they took something off him and put it on the bed of the person next to them, and that person got better. And then they started to notice this moisture coming out of him, which was myrrh. I mean, up to that time, people say, oh, everyone knew he was a saint. No. A lot of people thought he was backward. Pious people thought he saw that he was spiritual. But a lot of people didn't even recognise him as they, as they didn't recognise Christ. How many of the Jews recognised him? And yet... And yet he, his, his, his relics became corrupt and he's one of the greatest saints in the Orthodox Church today. Churches are dedicated to him all over the world and he's especially known for helping of those with cancer. Great saint. Because why? Because he was persecuted for righteousness sake. Falsely, in other words. So... It's a fantastic, I shouldn't use that word, worldly word there, but I'll say it's a great uh, life to read, which I think we have at the back as well, the life of St. Nectarius, and it's wonderful to read that life and see his own feelings, how he would be in pain and he would open up to his friend there, Costa, as his name was, a layperson. Why do they hate me? What have I done? Things like that. So he found it difficult to endure that. But he remembered the saints, he remembered the examples of others that were persecuted, and that gave him encouragement to say, I'm not going to listen to the devil which says, you're wasting your time, what you're doing is wrong. Don't listen to thoughts, etc., that come and say, don't keep your virginity before you get married, don't worry about what people say, or to keep 
you know, and today now there's a whole movement for people to commit adultery. There's websites on all that type of thing, cheaters, etc. And it's just like, you know, monogamy, it's, a, it's unnatural, that's not, that's not what it is. People should have multiple partners and multiple madness. He exhorts them by saying, even the prophets before you uh, suffered, etc. That's it. There was, um, okay, I'm going to read it very, very quickly. Sorry to tie you all. Are you tired? I'm sure you are. I'm sure those that went to the grand final were tied too, sitting there. But they endured because they wanted to watch the game. That's tiring, isn't it? Sitting there on those hard seats. And you know what? Even when it rains, they still sit there like dodos. <laughs> so well, there's no rain here. Now, a balanced spiritual life quickly. This is, I, I put a list of 20 together, and basically this is the things we should do to keep a balance in our spiritual life. Just don't do one thing, as I said. Prayer, individual prayer, spouses should pray together, husband and wives, very powerful. Pray as a family also, like-minded friends that you've got, and praying for the living and the dead. And when you go and, um, uh, to the church, Submit names. I've met people that don't even know to submit names of the living and the dead of Orthodox Christians when they go to church. It's, I mean, Russians, they're, they're into that. But unfortunately, and the Greeks, but I think the Serbians don't even know about it. And the Antiochians, I don't even know if they know about it either. But, uh, but there are, I'm sure in America, they're a bit more um, in tune with things. Submit the names of living and the dead of Orthodox Christians. Number two, prostrations. We must do if we are healthy, some prostrations, even start with a few. I say to some people, just do five a day. You don't have to do 300 like the saints did or 200, just even five a day. You keep up with that and you don't do prostrations on Sundays and feast days, major feast days. Um, that is a help and that's a part of the spiritual life as well. Almsgiving, yes, we just read about all that. Almsgiving is part of the spiritual life but not the only part of the spiritual life, like these actors and singers and all that, where they go and um, help some, they go to Africa, and then they've got, I, I don't, because, because they don't know Christ's commands, they, they don't know and say, when you give alms, don't do it to be seen by others. For them, they're not just seen by a few that are there, they're seen throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world, everyone sees them. Brad Pitt goes there and he and he's and he's helping some there some people, and everyone knows about it because Brad Pitt's an atheist, so he doesn't know about Christ's teaching. He doesn't care about it, so he thinks he's doing the right thing to be filmed so that the whole world can see what he's doing. So is he doing it because he cares for the people over there, or is he doing it for his own vainglory? But poor Brad Pitt wouldn't even know what the word vainglory means. Number four, fasting. That's part of our spiritual life but not the only part of our spiritual life. Remember what Saint Elder Paisio says, there's people who fast, who do vigils, etc., without working on their humility, on their egoism, and he says those people, uh, instead of chasing away temptation, they end up becoming receptive to the demons, actually enter communion with the demons because we attract the demons with our pride. When we're proud, vainglorious, we attract the demons. When we're humble, we attract who? God. 
Number five, simple things like this. Andiduro, holy water, holy oil. People forget. Take some bread home, the holy bread that we get in the liturgy, and have some during the week, every morning after prayers. Holy water, after each prosphoro, your andidro, uh, and then have some holy water. And then also you can anoint yourself with some holy oil that you've got. This, um, a friend went to Russia and she said that she wants to give out some there. But holy oil that we've received from holy shrines, like there's oils of St. John, there's oils over there that was given out, all these things. And you anoint yourself before going to work or whatever, or before taking care of your children during the day. Some people do it in the night as well. That gives grace. All these things, when they're done after prayer, bring grace. So then we go to number six. Repentance, the keeping of the commandments. Well, that's one, that's one of the things, but of course that is everything. But I put it as a separate thing just so that people can understand. We have to keep the commandments, even though all these things are the commandments. Church services. Go to the church every week and on feast days. Attend Akathis when they've got them and Melebans. Like we're going to have um, a Meleban and an Akathis for the Cursed Grid Icon on November the 18th. We're going to do um, here. The, the Cursed Grid Icon's coming from uh, America and we're going to have that service on this day. And... Um, We have to get understand the, the dogmas of the church. But there are some people who go on the internet or read just things to do with the faith. Who's a heretic, who's not a heretic, who's teaching this, that. That's part of our life, but it's not just our life. I don't read that stuff on the internet. I find it absolutely boring, makes me sick, and um, I rather read the lives of saints. And by reading the lives of saints, I learn about the First Ecumenical Council, for the example, of St. Athanasios. I read St. Kirill of Alexandria, which is in our book on the Curse Group, which he was the one in the Third Ecumenical Council. And all these other things about the dogmas, it's all explained in a life form instead of reading people's stuff there. And searching the internet about ecumenism, this is not good, not, not, not healthy. Uh, people become obsessed. Canons quoted by zealots and which sound correct but cause confusion. And a lot of people, they just you tell them, don't read that stuff. You're going to become confused. Lead a spiritual life. Read the Bible. Read the lives of saints. Then you'll be in a better position to understand where they're coming from. They say, oh, but as soon as a bishop teaches heresy, you've got to get away from him. And I say to them, but in the lives of saints I've read, so many bishops taught her heresy, and yet... There were saints that still were in the same church that, they, that that person was the head of. And not only that, some of the saints were ordained by bishops who were preaching heresy. The obsession with the 666 and the card and the last times and the prophecies, all these things are, yes, we, we, know, we have to know a little bit about it, but not to actually become, as um, the elders say, if you know everything about the 666, but yet you don't have a prayer life and you don't lead a spiritual life, you will be the first to worship the Antichrist if he comes in our times, which is un unlikely uh, because of certain things that have to happen beforehand. But um, remember that one thing that we do know for sure, that we're going to die and that's what we should be ready for. Whether the Antichrist comes now, which uh, you know, or these 666s and stuff, and all that, you become so obsessed and blind. If you don't pray... 
If you don't lead a spiritual life, if you don't do the commandments of Christ, know all that you want about it. You can read every internet thing about it. A lot of people even get to the stage where they even read Protestant things or other people's versions of this thing and become confused. And also these things to do with ecumenism. I often think to myself, because I've met people who say, oh, I'm ecumenism, it's really bad and all that. And I go, what school do you send your child to? He goes, the Catholic school. Well, you're basically an ecumenist yourself. You're sending your child to a school where they're learning heresy. Or people that go to heterodox weddings, taking children there and confusing them. There was a person once in Melbourne and I met her and she was, oh, she was really a zealot on ecumenism. She was fiery. She, was, she would go and protest and, and call out and say, no, you know, this is not right and ecumenism is bad. She, sent, she was sending her children to the Catholic school. Um, is that spiritual schizophrenia? Number nine. Little things like blessing your food, blessing your house, getting the priest to come over, blessing the car, blessing your business, holy water services that so the priest can come over, theophany, the priest comes over and sanctifies the house, the blessing of a new house where, he, where the priest anoints the walls, etc. And blessing when you move into a new place, if it's not yours, but when it's your house, you want to get the, the place, con- it's called like a consecration, it's actually a full-on prayer. Russians uh, more know about that. Sickness, um, have the priest read sickness prayers. People run to the doctors, nothing wrong with that. But how about the sickness prayers? How about getting the priest to do a maleben, like a, a prayer to the uh, petition to the saints? Or how about um, uh, confessing? Because a lot of times our, our sicknesses come from sins, as the saints teach. Holy unction, holy communion if you're in the position. And then you also go to the doctor, etc. Having patience, submitting to God's will. Sometimes it might not be that we're going to get better, or we just have to endure it for a while until we do get better. Submitting names for the sick to monasteries and asking them to pray for you. Now, Father John Christiankin writes, Confess, then receive divine unction, the holy oil. You should drink the unction oil every morning with holy bread. He's talking to a sick person. And anoint yourself daily in the same manner as doing the sacrament. You know, like put oil on you. I've never read this before, that you drink unction oil. But this is a great saint, um, a holy elder, and um, if he says it, then I'm... Um, that's, he says, yeah, if, you, if you've got internal problems, etc., sicknesses, he, he gets to the stage and says, drink the um, unction oil. So that's why when we do unction oil, I allow people to take some home with them, which we're going to have one, God willing, in December. So every illness is the result of sin, says Father John. But there are illnesses of the spirit and illnesses of the body. Epilepsy is incurable, or like that, but you can heal this illness with yearly unction and frequent communion. You should anoint yourself daily with unction oil. Our illnesses are a result of, this, of sinful life. And remember that St. John Christum says not every illness is because of sins. In general, but there are many that people get sick that have not remember when Christ said about when they asked him, this boy, is he blind, or this man, is he blind because of sins? He goes, not because of the sins of his own, not because of the sins of his parents, but for the glory of God. So not all sins are that. In general, they can, they can be. And 
He says, after you've had unction, then go to the doctor so that with God's help, um, that will help you. Number 11, patience in trials, in afflictions, when people slander you, ridicule, said all this. 12, struggling with the passions. People forget that we have to struggle with our passions. What passions? Pride, vainglory, jealousy, hate, greed, self-love, lack of kindness, this, this sexual passions, gluttony. You know, and, and um, read the lives of saints and read the books so that we know how to struggle with the passions. Not just come and listen to talks. Like some of you come and listen to talks. That's good. But if you're not applying what's being said, don't come because you're going to become worse. It's not, it's not good to listen or read but not apply what you're reading. That's, that's ludicrous. You're just going to cause trouble for yourselves. Uh, talks and sermons. Here, yeah, that's it. You know, go to talks. Go to ser- listen to sermons in church. All these things, the word of God is also an aspect but not just the only thing. When I hear people say, oh, I come to your talks, I really like coming to your talks. Do you go to church? Oh, not really. Do you read the Bible? Not really. Well, what's the point in coming to the talks? Our relationship with our family, spouses, friends, etc., that's part of the spiritual life. And number 15, the bringing up of children, that's a very important part of our spiritual life. And obedience in everyday life, obedience can be a woman to a husband, Obedient to your boss, obedient to your teacher, obedient to the laws of the land, etc. There are many times where we have the opportunity to be obedient. Obedience gives us humility, and humility gives us the grace of God. Number 17, serving the church and missionary work. My mother just did something, that's all, this is all she did. She would go, she would buy flowers, take them to the church, set up the church for, a, for, for Sunday. And for, that was all she did. She went there, quietly did it, and left. That's one aspect. Other people might want to go and clean the church or help in other ways. Also, I don't believe in children going in the altars, in, in the altar to help. I think it's wrong. I spoke to a priest the other day and he said, um, I go, how are your children? He goes, oh, I've got grandchildren now. I go, oh, really good. Oh, that's interesting. He goes, yes, and I've already got my first grandchild in the altar. I go, oh, how old is he? He goes, three. And I wanted to say, but I, out of, I didn't want to be rude and say... Um, does he still wear pull-ups when he goes in the altar? The altar is not the place for them. Of course, people can say that I'm crazy, but it's uh, unfortunately go to all the churches and tell the priests, I want a list of all your altar boys that have ever gone through your altar, and I want to know how many of them still go to church. Because some people say when they come to the altar, they get holy, they get spiritual, and that makes them come more to church. But the thing is, how many of them still go to church? And you know how many you'll find? Hardly none. So the altar didn't act. Actually, the altar was the reason why they left the church, because they were attacked after. Number 18, spiritual guidance and confession. That's part of the spiritual life. That's a balance. We need to have a spiritual father. We need to confess um, and be guided. And number 19, holy communion when we are able to. Elder Father John of the Christian can used to say, receive holy communion no less than once a month. Twice would be better, twice a, twice a month, every fortnight. Today people just commune when it's um, big Lent periods. And so if you're not worthy to commune, even using that word worthy, but we're, not, we're never worthy, but if you're not in the position to commune often, then why would you be in a position to commune every four times a year? I mean, anyway. And number 20, the last one, uh, the remembrance of death and departure of our soul from our body. Elder Frem writes, the remembrance of hell should always be in our mind. 
for it has much fruit within it. Uh, who can remember eternal fire and remain without tears? Elder Ephraim saying that by thinking about hell, not as, that's part of the spiritual life, that that helps us to avoid sin and also brings us to repentance and say, I deserve to go, but God, please forgive me and out of your mercy, save me. And there are those who believe that there is no hell, but um, not really in the position I'll talk about that. Bear in mind your departure, your death, the toll houses, the fearsome, fearsome judgment of God. Think about hell and the damned, my child, Elder Frem saying, count yourself as one of them also, and then all your sorrows will seem like nothing to you and a sweet consolation will come upon your entire soul. That's a spiritual thing. Elder Siluan said as well, keep your mind in hell but despair not. Think about hell. That's why Christ gave so many stories to do with hell, especially the last judgment one. When the Son of Man comes and, and he'll, you know, you did not give, feed me, you did not give drink, go into, the, go into hell. So how can people say, oh, we should never think about hell? Well, why did Christ give the example of hell? It's there for us to help us, to keep us from sinning a lot of times. And also it, it helps us to call out to God and say, even though I'm deserved, please save me through your love and mercy that you have. Okay. That's the end of the talk. Next talk, God willing, will be on the toll houses, which will be like a continuation of this, which is another source of orthodox teaching to help us. It will be um, very beneficial. And, and people say, oh, the toll houses is scary and hell's... You know, these things are scary when we don't understand that God is love and God forgives when we forget these things, then all these things, yes, become horrible. That's why in all the Orthodox services, it says, the, the, the saints, when they wrote the service, they go, and deliver me from hell and forgive me and help me. And this, but because you are merciful, you know, save me. So it's a balance. Think, that's why Elder Ephraim said, think about hell, yes, but also think about God's mercy and love and forgiveness. And as I was saying to Mark late before, when he came up to talk about his reaction to my thing, that I said, the Orthodox fathers say that if the devil was to fall down at the throne of God and say, forgive me, then God would forgive him. But of course we know from the teachings that he won't do that because of his pride. And nevertheless, that's a teaching, that God is, is full of love, that he would even forgive the devil, and that's why we read so many lives of, in so many lives, saints of people who did the worst of crimes, the worst sins, and yet they were forgiven if they came to God and asked forgiveness. Even Judas, what he did, if he asked forgiveness, he would have been saved. And that's why God kept on giving him the opportunity. When he hanged himself, the tree went down. He wouldn't allow him to hang himself to try and help. And but he just he had he had he was he was obsessed to kill himself, but. God gave him the opportunity, washed his, even, washed his feet. Christ washed his feet knowing what he was going to do, but tried to soften him, to make him to repent. But he didn't take the repentance. Okay, we're finished. Is there any um, last question or anything like that before we go? Uh, Mark. Myrrh. 
That was Saint Nectarius. That happens a lot to Orthodox saints, yes? Myrrh is a liquidy, f- and it's very fragrant, and uh, it's a sweet smell, which is an indication of sanctity. From my understanding, there's no substance like that on earth. And the relics of saints, for example, sometimes you can, they, don't, they might not give off the liquid as much, but you can smell their, you know, when you go and venerate the bones of the saints, and they give off fragrance. Some icons, like the icon that came, the softener of evil hearts, that gave off myrrh. The atheists and other scientists always try and disprove all that. They get them, but they just shut their mouth. They don't say, oh, it's a trick, it's this, they put it on there. They just shut their mouth because they can't, they can't refute it. And was someone else, Joanna, yeah? Well, that was part of the balance, is, to, is not to become just obsessed with the dogma, because there are many who become obsessed with matters of faith, but meanwhile they don't pray, they don't even do the commandments of Christ. It's one-sided. So what happens then? Because they're darkened, because they don't have the grace of God, because the commandments of God bring... Doing the commandments of God bring... That says, and we will come and abide in you. So without doing the commandments, then when you start reading about dogma and involving yourself in that, you're so darkened and then, then you just become more confused and then you fall into heresy. And that's why a lot of these zealots, like they go to extremes, they, they're, not really, they're not leading spiritual lives, they're not really humble, they read all about these things and they get to the stage where they say, all new calendars are going to go to hell, or this and that and that and that. You know, it just becomes like they... So where they said they're upholding the dogma, later on they create their own heresy. Yes. But also, too, what I mean is the interpretation of the Evangelion of the Bible. Um, how You're outside. We said all that. We said that, we said that um, it's the job of Orthodox Christians to read the lives of saints too, so they can understand um, the, and the teachings of the church, the rhymes of the church on spiritual life, on dogmas, on tradition, the history of the church, etc., uh, the interpretation of the, the, the Bible. We read, we read all this. Yeah, the study Bible is a very good tool. It's one, one of them, but together you must also read the lives of saints and read other writings of the saints, etc. So all of it, balance. You can't just do one. If you just read the Bible, well, that's what Luther did. You know, he said that... Um, the Catholics, um, they're gone off, which they did, and they were doing all these um, selling things and making money, and it was just ridiculous. So he retaliated. He said, this is not what Christianity is. So he was correct. So he, he said, I'm not going to be part of this. So he left. But instead of coming to the Orthodox Church where that wasn't being done, he made up his own church and then made up this uh, Lutheranism and other things. From then on, became more and more breaks, 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 so that everyone just believes in the Bible. And everyone's got their own interpretation of the Bible. So at the end of them, which one of those groups is correct? It becomes... 30,000 Protestant denominations today. 30,000. All claiming to believe in the one Bible. You're like a walk-in um, internet. It's good, <laughs> it's good to uh, have you here. 30,000 Protestant um, groups. Mm. But I want to go back to the... Um... The devil again? No. No. <laughs> 
Uh, but Luther did throw in well, uh, what he thought was the devil. That was hearsay. Say it again, he? Luther, I'm not going to talk about Luther, but Martin Luther, he, he thought he saw the devil and he threw, he's writing, the, this, this, deciphering the Bible, Bible into the common language. And he threw uh, the inkwell at the devil that he saw. Could have been any. Well, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about that uh, father in San Francisco. What was his name? Father John. Father John. Yeah, they, he died upstairs, I believe. Some One of the other people in the place in San Francisco. No, he died, I think they killed him in the church, in, in the office. Yeah. They, no, he, he just, apparently he just died. He just felt collapsed. It's a different, I think you're talking about a different person. This one here in um, Santa Cruz in America, these people were crazy. They actually were paranoid. And they had in their mind that he was holding files about them. So when he was out of town, they went to his office, broke open the file cabinet to try and find out all these documents that he believed, because they were paranoid schizophrenics. And then later on, he came back because he forgot something. When he came back, then they, he, they got caught out because they used to have this thing that they were good people. So when he caught them out, he... Um, they killed him, and then they put 666 and things on the wall to make out that he was a, a, a Satanist. No, I mean the father, the, the Shanghai, he went to San Francisco. That's a different person, yes, yeah, sorry, yes. St. John of Shanghai and San Francisco, that's another. The other one was Santa Cruz. St. John was persecuted, yes. Well, apparently when he died, they put him in a psychopathic, well, coffin. Yeah. And his relics, yeah, are incorrupt. And then someone said, well, they were going to put these relics in another coffin, and they, when they cracked the coffin, he was uh, incomplete. He, he was preserved. And there's no explanation, because there was no preservatives, there was no... Like, it was... They buried him, they buried him underneath the church, that's correct. And then, quite a few years later, they opened... He died in 66, I think, and... Um, I think back in I think the 1990s, I'm not sure, they opened up his uh, coffin and found him incorrupt. They put it there again and then later on they did the canonisation. Now his relics are on top in the cathedral, open there for people to um, venerate and he is in, incorrupt, yes. Does that normally happen to saints? Some saints, God allows them to remain incorrupt. Some saints, they decompose. It doesn't mean that one's greater than the other. It depends on what God wanted. In San Francisco, which is one of the most sinful cities in the world, to have this relics, his relics there. You know, Saint Nectarius was incorrupt, but after some decades, he um, decomposed. Now, the reason why he decomposed, a lot of people say, is so that his uh, relics can be uh, dissected and sent over to all the world. So every, like his relics are all over the world in all the Saint Nectarius churches. People have a, a piece of his um, relic. That's what God willed. Like in the west of Greece, there are three islands, Corfu, Kefalonia, and Zakynthos. They have three saints there. The saints, the relics of Saint Spiridon, Saint Dionysius, and Saint Erasmus. Those three are incorrupt. They say that the reason why those three are there is to act as a wall, like as a, as a wall to protect Greece from the influence of the Latins which were over on the other side. Because what was happening is that those islands were being run by Latins and the Latins, they're not like Muslims, like Latins, the, 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 the Catholics, when they go somewhere, they want to force people to convert. And 
by having those relics there, they would say, well, why should I convert to Catholicism when I've got these living examples here in front of me of incorrupt relics when they don't have any? You see? So that helped them. So that was the reason why they had that. So God has purposes why some saints he leaves incorrupt, etc. So was there anything else? That was it? Okay. Uh, the book review. Well, I said this one here, the confession. And the other one, which is good, is the law of God, produced by Jordanville, which has in there the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's a good, it's a good catechism book. Uh, and a lot of these things that I've got came from this book and other books as well. So this is a very good book for everyone to have, as is the prologue, etc. Okay. The other ones we didn't use. Okay, stand up. Hey, this virtue got the one to bury the old dog, or see to remember.